Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Country. England. Gun. Shot. Agent. Provocateur. Murder. Employment. Skyfall. Skyfall. Done. Some men are coming to kill us. We're going to kill them first. This show was recorded Monday the 5th of October 2015. With me is my co-host Sharon Shaw. Good evening. Our special guests include Gary Blower of Gameburst. Hello. And from the new 007 podcast Bond and Beyond, Mr. James Batchelor. Hello. And Mr. Alex Boucher. Good evening. Hi. Hello. Uh, Well, hello to Alex, who's first time on the show, and uh, it's great to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. I'm excited. And a double hello to uh, James and Gary, who are returning for the first time in bloody ages. It's been a while. I I couldn't believe when you actually told me, was it four years ago? Yeah, you were like, wow, three years ago since we did this. And I was like, "Mm, four years ago. (laughs) I I don't know why. I I always thought that we'd done them in the run-up to Skyfall with the plan of doing a Skyfall show. We totally should have done. Well, I I seem to remember we were going to do one, but um, in the end, like... It was so, I'm going to need a bit of time to think about Skyfall. And that time turned out to be three years. (laughs) So we're doing it to the run-up to Spectre. Because, yeah, way back in 2011, James, Gary, and I, over the course of three sessions, worked through the first 22 official Bond movies, from Doctor No all the way up to Quantum of Solace, with brief side quests into the 67 Casino Royale and uh, Never Say Never Again. And now we're back with a long-awaited full discussion on Skyfall. Um, now, I always felt like we went a bit light on Casino Royale and uh, uh, Quantum of Solace, um, but only because, obviously, I favor those two movies and feel like there's so much in them. But, uh, well, there's less in Quantum of Solace, a lot less. But there's, there seemed like it, it feels like we were light on Casino Royale. I might be able to slip a few extra things in here uh, while we're talking about Skyfall. We'll, we'll see. Um so for the third outing of Daniel Craig's fledgling new Bond, Sam Mendes took the helm from Mark Forster after the negative responses to QOS. Longtime associate of Sam Mendes, Thomas Newman, took over from David Arnold as the first new composer since 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies. From the writing team trio, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who had co-penned the last two, stayed on, and Paul Haggis switched with John Logan. This story, which happened to fall on the 50th anniversary of the Doctor No movie, was both a celebration of Bond, a reappraisal of the character's relevance in the modern age, and an exercise in destroying and rebuilding the framework of MI6. And I say in the modern age, I really mean in 2015, because he's been with us all along throughout those 50 years. So it's it's more a case of, um, can we do Bond now? very specifically now and spoiler warning you really need to see the film before proceeding any further with this podcast spoiler spoiler 
It was also the swan song for Judy Dench as M for her 007th performance, beginning with Goldeneye in 1995. So she matched with both Moore and Connery in terms of like her run as Bond. How close was she to catching up on Bernard Lee? Oh, um, oh, he did, he did he ten, did, didn't he? He did no eleven. Up to I think Octopussy was the first one they said he was absent for. Moon, Moonraker was his last one, so okay. he did eleven. Eleven, okay. Oh, bless her. She yeah, he was he was still alive, wasn't he, when uh, they made uh, Viewer Eyes Only? But they couldn't he couldn't film apparently. Gotcha. And uh, I think the, the the series mainstay up until that point, Lois Maxwell did a hell of a lot. I think she did. Um, she did all the all way up to View to a Kill, didn't she? To, yeah, View to a Kill. Yeah. And uh, uh, obviously, Desmond Llewellyn did all of them apart from um, Desmond and Doctor No. It's Major Boothroyd. Major Boothroyd, of course. Who is technically Q, but random actor bloke that wasn't Desmond Llewellyn, and therefore not Q. I find it kind of amusing if we go back in time to 2011 and um, they're like, we all know our Bond a lot, but. There were like we were sort of like not sure on some things, and we were sort of getting caught out back then. I think these days, if you ask us any of those questions, we've now boned up so much, especially with uh, like oh, hang on, there was a weird. Nope, I didn't hear anything. Star Wars Cantina Band. Sorry, hang on. Especially with Gary watching the whole series every year, uh, I don't think you could really get like it, if I think this room could do a Bond pub quiz and win. Then think. briefly, then before we go into like the, the you know, Skyfall Bond fact, I swear to God, View to a Kill was the only Bond song to get to number one, and yet since Writing on the Walls come out, they keep on telling me that Sam Smith has broke has, has set new records and that View to a Kill only got to number two. Now, are they rewriting history, or have I been lied to my entire life? Hmm. No, View to a Kill got to number one. They're um, rewriting history then to sell a crap Sam Smith song. Is it based on sales though? Is it is it just like sold more than than any other Bond? No, they, 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 they are saying it's the first one to get yeah. to number one. They keep saying it's really? the first one to get to number one, and View to a Kill and and Skyfall only ever got to number two, and that's a lie. Yeah, that's yeah. Duran Duran definitely hit the top, top top of the charts. I remember. I remember. Are we allowed to swear? Yeah, you can swear. <laughs> Bastards. Bastards. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you don't have to sell many of these days, though, to hit any kind of no, kind of music. No, music. it only, it only takes true. a few thousand. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't take a lot. Critically acclaimed on release, this is Skyfall, and, which we are here to talk about, and praised as a major return to form, this nonetheless threw off a lot of Bond fans, some of us included, for what it did and did not deliver. And yes, the influences of The Dark Knight, released four years previously, were fairly obvious. Doubtless my guests and I will feel different levels of affection for it, and finding out why will be the meat of this show. So let's start at the beginning with the multi-layered opening sequence, which culminates with Bond getting shot in the shoulder by an MI6 agent named Eve. So uh, has anyone listened to the Sam Mendes commentary? No, not yet. No, no, no I haven't. Only, I re- only the interview he did. Was like I re- I recommend it. He is a, uh, a classy chap, and uh, there's a lot of um, definite intent going into uh, um, uh, a lot of the stuff which uh, you just kind of take for granted. There's a lot of sort of classical film thought theory going into this, as in, well, you know, this guy knows what he's doing. I wanted to talk, actually, before we kicked off yeah, go for uh, it. with that, I want to talk about Roger Deakins, 
Mm, yeah, cinematographer. Be- because uh, Roger De- Roger Deakins is probably like if I see a film and it has cinema- you know, cinematographer Roger Deakins, it's an instant watch for me. Mm. So I think he's one of the most uh, visually stunning uh, filmmakers out there. And of course, he did he's done Coen Brothers stuff. The vast majority of the Coen Brothers films, yeah, and, and uh, he's done a couple now with Sam Mendes. Mm. And uh, I, you know, I think the. the Whatever you think about the content of Skyfall, mm. uh, and we can talk, we can, you can debate that long and hard. This is by far the best looking James Bond film Definitely. that's mm-hmm. ever been committed to film. It is just breathtaking from um, the opening scene way through. And I think a lot of that goes down to the fact that Roger Deakins used different filming techniques for different types of. I don't know if he talked about this on the commentary, he probably did, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Deakins uses different types of film for different types of scenes. Mm-hmm. So he'll use digital where he's trying to do. Very dark, very um, uh, you know high contrast images, yeah. and then we'll use old like thirty five millimeter if he's trying to go for a more sort of washed out, archaic old look. And I don't know whether he said on the film on the commentary. I was going to ask you, did he mention which bits he used to wear? But I'm pretty sure all that Singapore stuff was done using the the digital. Yeah, that, that sounds like it would be the sort of the silhouette yeah. and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, um, and then I think a lot of the stuff done. So we'll talk about it later, but a lot of stuff set in that old Chinese town. I think that was all done on 35 mil. Yeah. That's a kind of look about it. It's an old Japanese city. But no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah, the cinematography is, is incredible. Like, so we've, we've obviously, in the run-up to Spectre, I've just watched the, you know, the three Craig films. And Casino Royale's kind of shot like a, a standard action film. Quantum of Solace, they, they tried a few different things. You've got that that Art Nouveau bit where it all goes, you know, the sound goes all warpy right. and it's, it's very quick rush shots. There's the whole, I mean, the whole section in, um, in, uh, what was it? Is it Sweden or Switzerland or wherever the opera is? Mm-hmm. And they keep cutting in with the opera and it's, it's a very odd set. You can see they're trying to make it less bond like and more of a, a, a higher brow film. They Not tried to make it very stylish because yeah. I noticed when the different locations and the different graphics come up to, yeah, they, to yeah. say they're in London or Siena. And, and there's no you know, just different fonts every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so they've Siena added that kinetic you? energy as well. You can see I think what they're going for. And yeah. I think they, they, were, they perfected it in Skyfall. Skyfall looks amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Quantum's almost like a good segue to get you to Skyfall to, yeah. to sort of set the scene and get, and get, you know, so you can almost just chew that scenery it's amazing mendez never actually mentions it but he uh, talks about how he wants uh, wanted all of the uh, shots to be considered and to give you time to sort of drink in the scene and to really um uh take in the 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 structure of of the um the rooms that people are in and what he was not saying was quantum of solace did not allow you to do this because it was going <laughs> cut, 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 cut. <laughs> And, uh, but uh, no, he was very diplomatic about it. He never once mentioned his predecessor uh, or the uh, the editing style, or, or that you know that people didn't like that. He he just talked about how um, he was looking to make it more to, to take more time with it. Like the the chase at the beginning, while it might might feel kind of Casino Royale style, that is a breakneck, never stopping playing off the difference between. Um, Sebastian Foucault's like, you know, leaping about like a bunny rabbit and Bond just barging through everything like a bulldozer, but it never re- stops for a second. This, with its constantly changing from uh, car, look, is it car to motorbike to um, 
back of train, then to JCB, then to inside of train, then to on top of train, then to gunshot and over the bridge and down. Um, there's there's pauses for you to catch your breath. There's stealth bits. It feels more um, uh, like th- there's a pace to it. It's not just constant, relentless, even though it feels like it might be. Uh, so, um, but, but the interesting thing was he was talking about how, you know, we wanted uh, people to like first think it was this one thing and then think it was another thing. And then for the, the big surprise to be that Bond gets shot. And then later on, um, uh, he was uh, talking about, uh, you know, the, the big reveal of silver and uh, that, that being a, a huge deal. It's tragic when you hear about directors with these visions for you know this is what i want to deliver to people for the first time when they see it and you understand and realize that key aspects of the marketing completely gave away that mm, stuff yeah um so well you, yeah. you kind of almost have to go out your way to avoid it or or if they do do the marketing then use misdirection you know yeah. so that it's not what you expect that's love when, when they can market something and allow you to assume one thing and then for it to actually be another that's great there's a, a point in winter soldier where uh, paul um sorry robert redford says you've shaped the 20th century and it's he's just doing it in monologue during a scene where steve's you know kicking ass and you think he's saying it to steve when you get to it in the movie he's talking to the winter soldier that's a really great moment of just assuming mm. speculation. <laughs> Because oh, okay. you know, this will be coming out the week before it, and then we're going to be talking about Spectre next week anyway, so what's the point? Uh, well, if I get to see it, yeah. I was going to say, the I think the opening shot of the film kind of sets the direction. You know it's going to be a different film to what's yeah, come yeah. in the previous one, and there's just that long, you know, it's just Bond in silhouette walking mm-hmm. towards the camera. And, you see, and, it, and, and it's given like 20 seconds longer than mm-hmm. it would have done in any of the previous films. And you think, okay, this is, this is going to be a different type of film. At the risk of being a stroppy purist Bond fan... <clears throat> The uh, opening shot, as much as I love it, and particularly with Thomas New- Newman's sting of Burner, which incidentally is Alex's ringtone. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. Um, like it, it kind of the reason that that's the reason that there isn't the opening gun barrel. Yeah. Um, because Mendes realised that if they put the gun barrel and you see a man walking, it's similar. Yeah, similar. And that for me that. This is my most divisive Bond film of the entire series. And that is just one of the reasons is the fact that I kind of, because they ended Quantum with a, with a gun barrel, kind of punctuating it, saying, right, we've done the backstory. Here's the gun barrel. That means the start of James Bond adventures. So this was supposed to be, for me, the first James Bond adventure. The fact that it didn't open on the gun barrel kind of put me on an odd footing. It's like, oh, no, what are they doing? Fortunately, the next five ten minutes of action is like you know what? Okay, no, he straightens his cuffs. This is still James Bond. You may continue. <laughs> <laughs> Such a big deal for you, though, isn't it? When I'm is Bond really going to start? Uh, surely now. Surely now he started. You would hope so. Well, he's coming out to retirement. That's the way it's pitched at the beginning. Mm. You know, so. So I'm actually the first thing that we actually see if we if we go to the the, the literal on screen stuff. Um, he there's an agent down and bleeding out, 
and he tries to help him. And M says, leave him, just stay on the mission, do as you're told. And he says, yes, mom, and carries on. But you can see he's conflicted and he's actually trying to be, Sharon, what did you say? Uh, he's trying to be a team player for possibly the first time mm. um, for this particular bond. And I, I think for me, it felt a little bit full circle um, in the sense that at the very beginning of Casino Royale, um, that first kill um, in the opening sequence, that, I think, kind of breaks him a little bit. That's the that's the purpose of the, the two kills for a double O agent. That's the way I interpret it anyway. The, the first one is to do it and to mm. break through that barrier. And the second one is to prove that it was a fluke and you can do it again. Um, and he managed to do that, but then the events of Casino Royale kind of reinforce this this shell around him that he keeps everybody out that he goes his own way um that he you know he he does as he's told in terms of of what the mission requires but there's no there's as little interaction as he can possibly get away with in terms of um uh, you know working with people and and being a human being it's also kind of learned from like quantum really is M's line is you don't care your trouble is you you don't care who you hurt and you know Mathis gets shot and unceremoniously dumped in a skip and Mm. Gemma Arston gets covered in oil and he's just so full of rage and he just doesn't care he's just going in and he's just he's a he is a part, he is a destructive force just on the warpath, mm-hmm. and it was amazing to watch. I think we watched Skyfall like the day or two days after we we rewatched Quantum. The change is so significant, and instantly mm-hmm. there with Ronson, this is a Bond who has calmed down, matured, is a team player, appreciates things, try you know, values life, and it's it's really well done. And he's suited and booted as well. And that struck me this time that that for this particular sequence, what he's doing, it's actually pretty inappropriate for him to be wearing that very proper grey agent suit. Mm. However, again, it shows that he is working for a team. That is his uniform. Um, You know, it may not be cop's blues. It may not be... Um, you know, something that that particularly speaks of a uniform, but it is. It's a way of saying that he works with these people and he's there to to help them if he can. And then after doing as he's told and and a series of eye-popping stunts, many of which, like the the, the race across the rooftops over incredibly narrow uh, little pathways uh, was, again, credit to the stunt teams on this. The, The Bond series has... I now really appreciate after all these uh, like the, the past 15 years of just layering on CGI how fantastic it is that they do their stunts as for real as they possibly can and uh, the you know the stunt team on and, and this uh, the bike sequence second to none and you notice when they start subbing in little bits of CG because they really stand out because that's not what they do well if they did CG really well we wouldn't notice it <laughs> So that kind of that's almost the fact that the CGI is a bit ropey on the uh, the Komodo dragons and um, uh, the the henchman. What's his name? Pierre Patrice. Patrice. <laughs> and the henchman Patrice when he falls and turns into a cartoon. Um, the the. The fact that those look a bit ropey are testament to the fact that Daniel Craig really did go and jump up and grab hold of a lift as it started to to, uh, go up. Hmm. Um, So it's 
once again, the, the fact that the Bond series will proceed into the 21st century doing these dangerous ass stunts when they don't actually have to anymore uh, is uh, it's a statement. Uh, less of a deadly experience, more of a personal statement. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the. Um, the stunt work's fantastic, and then we and we meet Eve along the way. Um, Naomi Harris, what do we think of Eve? Eve as she is there, or Eve as she is by the end of the film? Um, I, don't, I don't know why I'm worrying about spoilers. Everyone knows she's Money Penny now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I, I I have to admit, I was one of the people that just got wrapped up in the film and didn't even consider who she could be until the very end. And you know, after likewise, the yeah. Um, so it's so they're... obvious, though, especially when they're in Shanghai oh, yeah. and she's um, uh, like not just after the shaving sequence, but when she's bantering with him as he's walking around and, and she's got the earpiece in. Yeah, it's it's, it's... pure like Samantha Bond money penny stuff. Yeah, and um, she's she's great. I, I think it's it, she's an interesting um, interesting partner to throw him with because he hasn't had many female partners throughout the, the history of the series, and those that have have either died. Or been the Bond girl, so it, it was interesting, or, or both. Um, so it was interesting to see like her, her, her with a, a female thing. I, the problem is like there's been too much cynicism since the film. Um, so now whenever I watch the opening, the opening chase, all I know, all I can think of is that she's obviously there to call out the names of the product placement. Um, you know, the the black Audi, the VW Beetles. That's a nice watch, James. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gary, what do you think of uh, uh, Eve Moneypenny? Well, like you said, I, I didn't when I watched it. I didn't put two and two together either. It was all of us I, Bond experts completely blindsided. Well, by this one. I, I think they were quite clever in 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 the way they kind of disguised it. Really, I mean, it's it's I mean, even if you I mean, you know, I've watched it now what for the third time last week, and it's still fairly subtle. I think you know, there's it's not obvious. Um, yeah, yeah. But it is once you've seen it once. I think she's very good. I, the product placement thing, I actually didn't notice the first couple of times. It's one of those things that on repeat viewing, it's the same with all the Bond films. Every time I watch them, um, there's always something I spot that I never spotted before, which is uh, true for all movies. But uh, I noticed it this time with the business with the Beatles, probably because VW's in the news. And so it kind of, you know, it's like, all oh, right, yeah, <laughs> and I, and I get what's going on there. And then it kind of annoyed me that you could see that the, uh, the Beatles were actually fake. Um, but uh, yeah, I think she's she's fine, and some of her scenes later on in the film are quite, you know, uh, the, the scene where she's giving him a shave, I think is quite effective, what it's yeah. trying to to tease. Um, so yeah, I think she's cool. I, I look forward to seeing her in the film we can't mention. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping they, they use her more, because obviously, like, Lois Maxwell, bless her, like, she has such great scenes with particularly Connery, mm. and to a lesser extent more, but she was only ever in it for like five minutes. I kind of hope that Given that money, yeah, money has got screen time all the way through the film here. I kind of hope she's present in not only the film that we cannot name, but the film after the film that we cannot name, and films beyond. I think she will be because a lot of what Skyfall is, is doing is about setting up that Bond is part of MI6, and MI6 is a huge deal. The first two MI6 have been sort of like, "Where's Bond? He's on the run." It's oh, that Bond. Uh, we got to get him and stuff. And they were the um, they were almost uh, antagonists. But uh, Skyfall, it's definitely MI6 struggling against their own obsolescence and uh, their own. Um, they're, they're having to sing for their supper. So I suspect there'll be a lot more MI6 in the future. Even yeah, if I mean, they're not all that much, Inspector. 
Sorry, Alex, carry on. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think there's every chance that there's going to be a lot more box ticking in the next film that, that we've already seen in the in the Daniel Craig movie so far. And there's every chance that she'll be sat behind a desk and he'll wander in and, and possibly throw a hat a hat stand. So, you oh, know. That's not actually what I meant. I meant like the MI6 being there in a more active role and there being. Uh, the, the idea of Bond being in constant contact with them rather than just being, going, hello, Bond, okay, here's a new sun-kissed locale, off you go, bye-bye. Oh, and think, get a gadget on the way. I think Skyfall was more of an ensemble film mm, than, mm. Uh, than previous, certainly the in recent uh, Bond. And um, uh, and there is a trend towards that, isn't there? Obviously, all the Marvel films are basically yeah, ensemble yeah. pieces now. So I think they can get away with it more. And, and the ensemble actors they've got are obviously quality actors, you know, and it was good yeah. to see... Uh, Judy Dench actually used fully. Uh, I mean, mm. she had the. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Skyfall is not about James Bond. This is a no, film about M. It is. So, it is. you know, and it's quite unique in that respect. I mean, they did sort of try and do it before with um, The World Is Not Enough, which I enjoyed that aspect of it. The fact yeah. they tried mm. to yeah. involve Judy Dench more in the plot. Um, but then they kind also of got, got other things. blown up in that one. Yeah, I mean, that film was just ruined by a, a certain seasonal. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't um, entirely ruined but yeah no but it kind of derailed it it would have been that would have been Blemished. one of the yeah one of the best Brosnans if it weren't for that yeah um but uh, you know it's good to see that they're doing it. and I think also in in um you know with the Edward Snowden case and all the stuff in the news about monitoring and GCHQ and stuff it it you know it allows for writers to include the kind of trappings of of, of power in these stories which is good because going back to the kind of some of the stuff I love from the 60s, kind of Len Dayton novels and things like that, and the Harry Palmer series, you know, which are all about the fact that the Secret Service is, is corrupt and bent and confused and no one knows what they're really doing, you know, and I, I like that that sort of has started creeping back into Bond, which is almost from where it started. The next bit after uh, Bond gets shot, which is, by the way, a really excellent scene, even when you know it's going to happen, because that's, that's how you craft a really, um, a, a truly memorable scene. You make it that it's tense the first time you watch it, but that then it's fascinating the, the second, third, fourth times. Uh, with all of the, take the bloody shot! The moment that Eve uh, takes the shot and then uh, her face at that stage and M turning around and going straight to the window and basically like pushing everything inside and just looking out and going, nope, that's exactly what I was supposed to do and and, and dealing with that. Judy Dench's face at that stage, astonishing lady. There's a tunnel ahead. I'm going to lose them. Can you get into a better position? Negative, there's no time. Take the shot. I say take the shot. I can't. I mean it, Bond. Take the bloody shot. And then, sort of, the, the queuing up the sort of the, the the sound of the rain with the uh, with, with Bond being washed downstream, it's perfectly framed, and it's one of the best Bond. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that bit. I'm not massively fond of the the. I don't love the all of the chicanery before that, although it's fantastic to watch. But the actual shot, Agent Down bit, and the whole of MI6 goes, Agent Down. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Wow, no, I, I agree. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the more impactful open, openings to yeah. a Bond film. It's the, it's the polar opposite of um, 
the Spy Who Loved Me. It's like, oh my god, yes. James Bond's going to. Oh, yeah, yeah, he actually might be dead. So, yeah, like no Union Jack, me. guys. It and then reminds me if of Union Jack does turn up, it's on the coffins. Yeah, and the bulldog, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of um, the only two. Uh, you only live twice. Like there are there are so many very 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 subtle nods. So I, I you know I the complete opposite of what Die Another Day did mm. um, to previous Bond films. So the fact that he dies at the start, mm. I kind of that's that's their kind of right. You only live twice. Tick done. Move on. Resurrection. Um, yes. It's um. It's yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of that. I can only imagine. I, obviously, I I saw Young Live twice, having seen all the other Bond films, so I know he's not dead. Um, also, but, the um. The, now that we mentioned it, uh, World is Not Enough when he gets injured in the shoulder and yeah. he fails at the beginning of that one. Although well, that was that one's not as dramatic because that obviously is obviously not yet. Yeah, he doesn't he's, die. He's dangling from the Millennium Dome. Yeah. and going, oh, oh, ow, that hurts. <laughs> rather than actually being <laughs> shot and plummeting to what looks like a pretty nasty impact on the water. Yeah, it's not as dramatic, but there are inflections. But similarly, it's a lot more dramatic than everything in You Only Live Twice. Yeah, I mean, you're you're already seeing the benefits of what a director like Sam Mendes can bring yeah. to a Bond film because yeah, you haven't even got to the opening credits yet, and you're thinking. These people are acting really well, and all we're seeing is a real-time action scene. How is this possible? So you're already you're just you're getting goosebumps because it's like, wow, I'm I'm in for a treat here. Yeah, so it's it's upping the class factor most definitely. Absolutely, which, which is great because when you go back to them after this, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace are fantastic paring down of the Bond character, but not necessarily the Bond franchise. They're sort of the, the this is Bond if he was a, a a person played by Daniel Craig with incredible intensity, and it's almost like he's trying to get away from MI6, and it's he's annoyed with MI6, and he is constantly butting heads with MI6. The uh, the 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 the, the quarrelling over the the you know I, I want the bl- money or you're a bloody idiot, um, and having to basically get paid off by Felix in the end to be able to proceed. Um, and then, you know, throughout Quantum of Solace, he pretty much gives MI6 the finger. So um, this is more a sort of a, a re-exploration of the Bond mythos in general. Just, you know, Bond needs more than just himself. And yet the Skyfall intro is the most personal James Bond song ever. And when I first heard it, I remember like, I, it came in with a wave of you going, oh, I don't like uh, Adele, because she manages to say, to, to, sing, to sing the first line, this is the end. <laughs> you didn't like says, it much. She also says, Zaz Skyfall, which really annoys me. <laughs> Zaz Skyfall. And it has now become my, maybe my second favourite song and my first favourite intro sequence. It's brilliant again. It's one of the best intro sequences, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a little of Live and Let Die with the recurring skulls, but there's... Uh, it's, it's, it's been this... I can't forget remember his name, but it's this one guy who uh, did all the intro sequences up to um, License to Kill and then died, sadly. And then the next guy from GoldenEye onwards has done all of them since then. But this is his best because it's got all of these... Um, well, there's a constant motif of death. It's from Bond's perspective, which is rare that you really get to um, to see like through Bond's eyes, and he's 
the, the themes include him sort of going down the river Styx and sort of traveling deep inside himself. There's a constant reminder of his bleeding wound. And um, he's seeing the women who are just sort of floating in the water who um, symbolically, these are the women that he's have basically died on his watch and that he's kind of tr- tried to forget, but they're back there in his basement and um, the, the uh, journeying back to his house that he's obviously both, you know, uh, got locked away back there and is terrified of and constant shots of Bond himself. Uh, because ultimately this is, you know, he's, he's looking at the man that he's become since he's been this, you know, merchant of death. Um, it's, it's exquisite. The whole, the, the, the way it's constructed. It's pretty, it's, it's impressive for the variety because the vast majority of the Bond title sequences, when you watch them back, they pick one theme or, or image, mm. usually floaty ladies, um, and oh, naked ladies, ladies, and then they just and they just take they drag that out for two or three minutes. And mm. um, I think there was I, th- I think the, the good example is like, View to a Kill is all about naked floaty ladies with neon ski masks and mm. ski poles, and, and that's just lights. the opening. There's nothing to do with the rest of the film. That's just based on the opening because the guy who did the credit sequence has clearly seen a little bit of the film and then just taken that. Whereas this this travels through the entire film, like as well as you know, like you say, Alex is going through his character, but also you know, it goes through the whole film. So you see, you see Skyfall, you know, the house. You see Silver's there on the wall. Silver's there on the wall in the underground caverns that are very much like the London Chase and the new MI6. You even see the dragons from um, Macau, Shanghai, and that, and it mm. kind of like right. This is a kind of a teaser as to what you're going to enjoy for the next two hours. Oh, Sharon, your tunnel theory. Um. The tunnel theory. Oh, um, yeah. It just it seemed a little bit uh, Freudian that it's it's a very symmetrical sequence for a start. But all of the um, the the long shots of going through the tunnels, which I mean, even uh, Sam Mendes men, uh, mentioned that in the um, in the commentary, um, going down into the watery, um, almost womb-like depths of the lakes, um, and ultimately it's about him returning to home, returning to his point of origin. Um, with the woman who has effectively become his in-work mother, if you like. Mm. Um, so it, it almost seems like you've got some of, um, not only are you seeing from Bond's perspective, you're getting some proper insight into what's going on in his psyche at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also this is um, hot on the heels of 22 or so films, which brandish guns like great big flaming penises. Um, and uh, it's like, well, let's set the guns aside. In fact, we turn these guns and falling knives into gravestones, and let's just set up this all-consuming tunnel that Bond is constantly moving through uh, with the current of the river itself. Uh, there, there's a sense of inevitability about it, uh, a fear of death, a fear of obsolescence, the tr- the passage of time, um, and, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly anxiety-ridden uh, sequence and, and really like I say, personal and uh, just genuinely impressive. Any of you guys played that Scorpion drinking game before? (laughs) 
No. <laughs> I, I, I must have given that one a miss. <laughs> Can't think of that. I, th- I think having a gas chamber was my limits. So. <laughs> It's uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. I think. Um, <laughs> Who came up with that game? Uh, Who's sitting there with a shot and a scorpion thinking, you know I what? Wonder if <laughs> there's a game out of this. <laughs> I think it was very much a spur of the moment thing. That's like, uh, like, okay, right. I got the scorpion, right? I reckon. And then uh, they they just bet each other that they couldn't do it, and then you know. Jim lost an eye, and uh, they didn't play it anymore. <laughs> but Bond heard about it. This is what Bond does while he's uh, away. While he's, um, yeah, you know, he, he has, he can go anywhere he wants. He's, you know, the, the, I think I don't know if that they stop his credit cards, but he certainly he has the freedom of the world, and he basically buries himself on a, in a beach house and drinks Heineken. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, shags I'm, girls. I always kind of intrigued as to what happens between falling in the river and ending up there, because that that I mean, what's the the paradise he ends up in? I, I assume to be kind of Thailand, Southeast mm. Asia, that sort of area. Well, it's, it's like, supposed to be Istanbul where he uh, starts off at, which, by the way, was uh, uh, from Russia with love. Yeah, I like. Well, he start he the, the opening is in Istanbul and all that. But where he is in the little scorpion bar, that feels very kind of Southeast Asia. So mm. unless I'm not overly familiar with, you know, back-end European, Eastern European, you know, drinking holes, mm. like, how long is that river that he just floated all the way to Thailand? It's like, yep, this is me, I'm home. It's, it's either going to be there or the Caribbean, because that's, you yeah. know, in the, in the books, that's his spiritual home. That's true, yeah. Yeah, so I, I suspect it's the Caribbean somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but they set up his serious drinking problem actually in Quantum of Solace. I think there's there's, there's one little throwaway comment they're talking about uh, the the bartender on the airplane um, it, it describes the ingredients of the Vespa, and then uh, he says, "Yeah, he's had that six of them," mm. and that's like the amount of shots that go into just one of them. He is putting it away, and it's amazing that he's not a you know, paralytic drunk. By the time he's actually here, that like we could have actually seen Bond really at that stage. But then most alcoholics are functioning. That's the problem. Yeah, I suppose so. And it reflects how often Ian Fleming smoked and drank per day as well. So yeah, they probably yeah. tried to put a bit of the, you know, bit of the uh, the author's habits in there too. I mean, I think yeah. he got through eighty cigarettes a day or something. It was mm. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the only thing that like the only thing that calls him back is the attack on MI6, isn't it? It's uh, mm. he actually probably wouldn't have come back unless someone came to get him or something happened. Well, there's you know it's it's up in the air. But do you think he'd have come back on his own? I don't know if he'd have got bored. I, I can't imagine him getting bored. I think he's. I think the whole point is that at some point his loyalty to Queen and country mm. would draw him back to to Britain. There's a bit of petulance in there as well. It, it feels like he's like, mm, no one came to find me. They all think I'm dead, and they're all probably glad as well. Well, I don't like them either. I think there is a bit of the, the hint of the old warrior as well, mm. um, this idea that if you take away the battle, somebody who spent their entire life dedicating themselves to that particular um, course of life, what else is there for them? We saw all the Rambo films this week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> May have snapped off in there. But, uh, Possibly yeah. so, yes. Maybe. No, so I, that's how I read it, Sharon. I, yeah. I see it as, as it, you know, it's, I mean, I, and there's obviously, you know, there's um, other stories that are set along similar lines, but I saw that yeah. as him being, you know, generally not really knowing what to do with himself. And the easiest thing he can do is drink, shag, and take risks because that's what he's, 
you know his whole life has become basically but you know he makes an effort to be a team player and and that's what happens he gets shot by one of his team so in a way this does bring you back to the older sort of rebellious James Bond it's like well what's the use you know I try and play a part and I get shot for it so you know what I'm just gonna uh be myself Uh, I think there is a suggestion also that he's not feeling great because of the um depleted uranium shrapnel as well Mm. um and I've actually I did a bit of research on this because when I watched it the other day I thought you know what I I don't really know what depleted uranium would do to you do to you if it was in your body because it's not actually that radioactive mm-hmm. um but uh yeah it doesn't do very pleasant things to you it, it would make you feel very tired and give you like flu-like symptoms so God, i think that explains how haggard and fatigued yeah, he looks. yeah yeah it's basically yeah how he would be because you know effectively it's, it's affecting his immune system so so if um, he suspects there's something wrong anyway mi6 yeah. is probably the best place for him to be to find out what's happening to him yeah it's probably the motivation for him going back and also the the, the reason why he's feeling so um loathsome about himself he's just not feeling great anyway yeah mm. um actually that brings me to another thing i was going to uh, talk about how they're saying you know you might be out of it you might be past it a lot of people who had just seen the first two films and then come back after three years are like wait a second i thought you just started and i know like, this was you know we, we were like right we're finally going to see bond you know at the top of his game and he's actually at the bottom of his game and this kind of blew a lot of people's minds. And James, can you just, because these were fascinating from you and, and Alex, if you want to jump in on this as well, <laughs> the, uh, the theories espoused by certain <laughs> Bond fans of, well, there's an obvious thing we can do in terms of which order to watch the Bond films. It's not crazy at all. Go for it. Yeah, I basically, like, you know, as Alex and I were saying on Bond and Beyond, subtle plug there, um, some people seem to think that, you know, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace are then followed by Doctor No to Die Another Day. Brilliant. And then Skyfall, which is utter bollocks, because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but there is, if you, if you take the Bond franchise beyond just the films, mm. there is actually a very, very logical, logical way to explain how he looks so old and... He, everyone's saying about he's you know, oh, you're a bit past it, and not just because oh it's the 50th anniversary. Let's let's subtly mention that this has been going on quite a bit. Yeah. The video games, Casino Royale, Quantum Solace, undeniably the start of the Daniel Craig Bond franchise. We are ignoring everything up to die uh, up to Casino Royale because that is a completely separate canon. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Bond Nothing A. Nothing has happened. Bond <laughs> A. Alternate universe. The Michael Keaton Batman, if you will. Yeah, only Judy Dench gets the, the the exclusive pass to to sort of you know jump yeah. from one. She's uh, cross to the universe. Next. And that, she's that, cross, yeah, she's yeah, yeah she's yeah. untouchable. Dames exactly. are allowed to be in two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, universal constant. Yeah. So, Quantum Solace, Casino Royale, not in that order, obviously. Casino Royale, Quantum Solace, the beginning. There are then a number of video games with um, Daniel Craig as the uh, as James Bond, so it's set after Quantum Solace. You've got the reimagined Goldeneye, which is this is what Goldeneye would have looked like if the Pierce Brosnan one hasn't happened, if it happened in the Daniel Daniel Craig timeline. Mm-hmm. This is Goldeneye. They then, in the build-up to Skyfall, did a game called 007 Legends where they did a similar treatment to six, uh, sorry, five classic Bond films. So there was a gold, there was Goldfinger, Honor Secret Service. Um, Lust to Kill. Moonraker. Uh, Moonraker. Goldfinger, Moonraker, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, License to Kill, and Die Another Day. And it was terrible. 
And Absolute yeah. bilge. We were so excited and it was rubbish. It was awful and a massive missed opportunity because they had a chance to kind of link those together as kind of a mm. brand new storyline. But Bloodstone is excellent, folks. So as we said before, you should oh, definitely yes. know that. Yeah, but coming on to Bloodstone, Bloodstone, I kind of like to think, is mm. the last one before Skyfall. Oh, really? Because Bloodstone, spoiler alerts, at the end, mm. Joss Stone is shot down by an unmanned drone. And she you says to Bond, you don't know what he's like. He's everywhere. You can't you can't touch him. She mm-hmm. is referring to Silver. Oh really? I oh, think maybe. she's I think she's referring to Silver. I think she is essentially another Severine in Silver's employ. He obviously, you know, in his little weird Japanese burnout town on a laptop controlling that drone and shooting him. Course, I wonder if yeah. Bloodstone, in fact, is how Bond got onto his radar. Because he there's quite when you watch Skyfall, the scenes between the two of them, he's clearly got a fascination with with Bond. He sees a kind of a, a kindred spirit in Bond. I wonder mm. if it's Bloodstone that put Bond on his radar, and he thinks, right, I now need to meet this chap. He's definitely been observing, whether it was through Bloodstone or any other means, he's been yeah. observing that uh, Bond is M's chosen favourite. Yeah. Uh, which, if you go back to the chronology that uh, uh, Silver lays down. Uh, he was uh, the their MI6 agent contact from like eighty six to ninety seven or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, and that basically crosses the um, Dalton Brosnan era. When I was watching it this time, Silver, when he's in the glass case, talking about how he was um, in prison and he was tortured, and he thought, right, I'm going to take my cyanide and do that, and the cyanide went wrong. Mm-hmm. If you listen to what he's saying. It brought to mind the opening credit sequence of Die Another Day. Yeah. Silver, and he goes on about how he no one came for him. In, no no one came for him. He was betrayed. Mm. Silver is essentially... And got what, back six agents instead and a peaceful yeah. renegotiation, a peaceful transition because it was when uh, yeah, Hong he, Kong went over to the UK. He hand, they, they just gave up on Silver. Yeah. Silver is what would have ha- what Brosnan's bond would have been had they not exchanged him for Zhao Diamond Face. I think... It's a, ultimately Silver's character is very different from Bond's character. If you look at it, he had a certain. Um, I'm not. I'm not I, I agree. By the way, I think that's exactly what they were. Uh, I don't know if they were consciously doing that, but it's exactly the same situation, and it's a really excellent uh, way of uh, of looking at the idea of what happened to the previous Bond type MI6 agent. Hmm. Uh, but ultimately, his his disposition is so wildly different from Bond's that it it's almost certain that he would have had these little pop eccentricities <laughs> back in the 90s um at which bond bond has never been playful like that uh, bond has never been um that level of um uh flamboyant yeah bond has always been like this straight as an arrow like entirely regardless of of uh, his particular sexual proclivities but basically bond is a blunt instrument silver's a scalpel so they're actually very different in in the in the way that they approach things but you know that he has to do the obligatory for for the most fascinating type of bond villains we're not so different you and i type bond <laughs> speech i think there are um interesting similarities between 
certainly in Silver's perception, the way that they've been treated. And it actually ties in with what M admits herself about how MI6 recruits their agents. You mm. know, they look for mm-hmm. orphans or at least disaffected young men who, who have no particular loyalties or affiliations, and they give them something to fight for. Yeah. And they use their very estrangement... Um, as a tool to cement what they will do and who they will do it for. But ultimately, on a subconscious level, that means that those people are expecting something similar in return. And I honestly do think it's entirely possible that up to the point that he was betrayed and abandoned, Silver would have been, all right, yeah, I agree, he, he probably still would have had that slightly over-the-top um, flair that Bond lacks. But I think he would... Um, potentially have had that same dedication until he realised with beyond a shadow of a doubt that that dedication basically got him nothing. Worse than nothing. There's the scene Sam Mendes calls the three Hamlets as all three of these actors, uh, Ben Whishaw, Ray Fiennes and Rory Kinnear as Tanner have played Hamlet on stage. And he'd tease them and say, what are some trained theatre actors like you doing slumming with Bond? And they'd tease him back and say the same thing to him about an established director, to which I would say, guys, you're doing Bond. Very well, I might add. It's a fine line. Make the breadcrumb too small and he might miss it. Too big and Silver will smell a rat. Yes, but do you think even Silver will be able to spot that? He's the only one who could. So... What are you doing? We're just monitoring. Creating a false tracking signal for Silver to follow. Well, so... Um, well, no. Excellent thinking. Get him isolated. Send him on the A9. It's the direct route. You can monitor his progress more accurately and confirm it with the traffic cameras. But uh, what if the PM finds out? And then we're all buggered. Carry on. Let's step away from Silver just for a moment and talk about Mallory. Uh, now, um, I'm going to go to Gary here because obviously there's uh, Gary's always had a soft spot for for M in general, and since this is the, the the way that M is effectively reintroduced as okay, this is going to be the new guy. Uh, what did you think of Mallory throughout the film until he became our M? Well, Ralph Fiennes is a uh, fine actor, um, <laughs> and. I think they tried to... Uh, he was more obvious to me the moment I saw him that he was going to somehow M. be the new M, yeah. Um, uh, the fact his name is Mallory is kind of... A bit, bit of a given, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but they hid the it well that, by him being quite dodgy and shifty-eyed and, and a bit yeah. there being several times you're like, hang on, he's in the perfect position to betray them. He used a couple of lines, um, a couple of Bernard Lee lines when they first meet each other, you know, when they're in M's office and yeah. they're having a little bit of a, you know, a debate about Bond's worthiness. Yeah. Um, and he, at that point, he used, I can't remember exactly the ones he used now, but he uses a couple of lines which are straight from Bernard Lee's textbook. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at that point, you felt, uh, you could see where this was going. And um, what I actually really like about it is the fact that in the... <sighs> When the, when the kind of uh, relationship between Bond and uh, Bernard Lee was well at its best during the Connery and Moore era, mm. um, uh, it was that kind of, uh, you know, Bond had a lot of respect for him, even though he was, you know, always an- antagonizing him and going along with it. And you always felt the same for, for M in that, you know, M 
was exasperated with Bond's antics, but he mm. knew he was mm. his go-to man. Mm. And in fact, I think um, it's I'm trying to think which film it's the beginning of. It's what's the one with the where he actually goes to Bond's house. It's the beginning Live and of Let Die. Live and Let Die. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably my favourite scene between M and Bond out of all of the films because um, you get you get the essence of all of those elements within that uh, that short scene. And um, and I I got that vibe from this, which is again why i'm kind of excited to see where it goes yeah um you know what what we want to see what every bond fan wants to see is bond walking into that uh, that office with the padded door and and having a you know stripped on from him basically but mm. ultimately then being sent on on his mission because that is the quintessential here's your bomb is this is a bomb movie off we go kind of moment which we've not just mm. about had yet apart from at the very end it's hinted on <sighs> Note on the end, actually. One thing you said during the Moore podcast that we did was how uh, so many Bond films start one way and end in a completely different tone, usually tones that don't really match with each other. So many great M meetings and discussions at the beginning of a Bond film, specifically in the, uh, the I don't know, I'm, I'm picturing them like the beginning discussions in the Connery films, and then the last thing that the way that M and Bond interact in any way in most of the more era ones, uh, 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 more is balls deep in the new floozy <laughs> and M goes double Oh seven. I loved that this one ended with him saying with pleasure, M with pleasure. Uh, yeah. the, the idea being that it start, it, it finished at the point where they are doing that thing where then they are kind of, they're not exactly equals, but they come in and they at least respect one another. I don't, I really don't want to, I, oh God, don't do that thing where he's shagging some girl at the end and have friggin' Ray Fiennes go 007. I don't they, think they, they won't. They won't. Craig, you won't get that. Craig, has not, end, Craig has not ended, a, we've not ended, we've not had a film end with Bond shagging a woman since Dawn of the Day. Yeah. It just, it's just not possible. I want that to be the last one. one. I, th- I just, just. I think it is. I think it's it's so well in the past now. It's it's a different mm. era. Oh, one thing about Die Another Day that I hadn't uh, noticed until watching it again recently. It's the only Bond film I can think of where you actually get to see Bond having sex. Yeah, I know it that sounds is silly. Quite graphic with uh, Halle Berry, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I know yeah. it sounds silly with a, a, a film series so dependent on sex being one of the things that sells it. But you always get to see Bond necking with Fiona Fullerton or. Um, <laughs> And it's just clothes scattered yeah, across a floor. It's clothes it? scattered across a floor. It's them in a bed. It's the sheet placed over her, or like you get to see her curvy bottom or something. And it's before or it's after. Yeah. You never got to see Roger Moore going, uh, 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 <laughs> Thank uh, God. Uh, I think most people would have been sick into their popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when you watch it and die another day, it's like, oh, they're really going at it. Jesus. <laughs> to draw us away from memories of the hungry turtle uh, <laughs> back towards back towards M I mean I, I kind of agree with Zan like, I, I think um, Ralph, Ray Fiennes is going to be amazing the thing that I'm looking forward to is the and, and that I like from this one is there's respect but there's not too much familiarity yeah Judy Dench has she is so obviously affectionate for mm. Bond in that mothering kind of way for Bond, and she was in the Brosnan films, and she was in in maybe maybe with the exception of uh, Goldeneye, and she she certainly is in Craig's films, 
and the Bernard Lee relationship I loved was they both respect each other. And, and as, as Zan says, like Bond, uh, M knows that Bond's the best, but he would never tell him and he would never even show it. The one that, the, the, the moment that sums it up for me at the risk of going back to another old Bond film, Man okay. with a Golden Gun, when um, he pulls Bond from the assignment because Scaramanga is seemingly out to kill Bond, Bond says, ah, oh, but if I found him first, that would change things, wouldn't it? And M just sits there, yes, yes, dramatically when you say, as in, you know, it's not it subtly, it's like, yes, that was my plan. Bond gives him a smile, kind of, ah, and see what you're doing there. We're having a little bit of a moment. And M just like, good day, Bond, and then just goes back to his scribbling. <laughs> That's the M yeah. that we're going to get back. And I think I'm, also with the, with the Bernard Lee uh, uh, Bond relationship, um, he's very much his superior because mm. Bond is a commander in the Navy. Yeah. And I think. I think M is either an admiral or rear admiral or something like that. I think That's they refer rank. to him as the admiral, don't they? Yeah, yeah as an admiral. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. So, um, so that so the relationship there was also on that more formal footing, you know, and he, he didn't really like um, uh, Bond's sarcasm because it's you know it's it, it's it's not it's not a military uh, uh, protocol. Um, whereas obviously with Judy Dench, she although she would have had the same rank in MI6 as people do in the public sector. Um, mm. She wouldn't actually have been a, you know, she'd have been that rank on her pay grade only, not necessarily mm. by. And they they hint at that with um, uh, what's it when they when they when Money Penny is giving him a shave, he's like, oh, you don't know Mallory. Mm. He was, and then he spouts, uh, yeah, Bond spouts off. Oh no, I know he did this, that, and the other. And he knows, so he knows and respects that Mallory had a past and and has been out there and re- and knows what goes on out in the field. I mean, I think there's every chance that 15 or or so years ago, Ray Fiennes was probably on the short list to to be the next James Bond at at some point too. So I think, so, I think yeah. it's it's it, it's really good casting. He's such a great actor and. I think you do want that difference between M and James Bond. That yeah, that seniority. But this is the these are the kind of the first the relationship you see where you could imagine them both down the pub as well. So it's a nice, <laughs> it's a nice kind of uh, you know uh, edge they're going to give to it. I think. Um, actually, thinking about the admiral thing, this is just a side note. But remember Jeffrey Palmer in uh, uh, To Never Dies, the yeah. admiral in that one. Like yep. if Judy Dench had gone, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Could they possibly just brought him in and gone? Do you want to be M? He might have done it. I'd have quite enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I, I love that character. Yeah, he'd have been good at it. I mean, uh, uh, I suppose essentially those two are the same rank in that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so um, Q, the uh, um, Ben Whishaw, the uh, when he t- turns up in the, I mean, we we bypassed a lot of Bond's training. The the actual training sequences. Um, Daniel Craig really did do all of those pull-ups and push-ups. So when when he flops down and goes, that's because he has exhausted himself in real life. <laughs> and he actually said to Sam, "I can't do this anymore. Not today." So that when they uh, when they filmed him there just flopping down, uh, he is you know very literally wrecked. And it's kind of odd to again to, to watch this one because you're, you're remembering the bit where he walks out of the sea in Casino Royale and going. Hmm. And every man in that entire cinema feeling a little bit inferior at that stage, and rightly so, because he's an Adonis. And and suddenly he's brought down to our level of being knackered, but at the same time, he's doing more pull-ups than most of us could manage. Yeah. <laughs> um, more than one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but you also get the uh, word association uh, section, which I really, really love, the mm. um, you know, murder employment bit, which is uh, great. They're, they're, they're twinning the whole... Um, the 
the, the physically fit with the mentally fit uh, in, you know, making it a plainly uh, state, making a plain statement that whether Bond can run, jump and climb trees as fast as he always could or not, he's mentally dangerous, unpredictable. Hmm. I think that was perfect trailer material as well. You'd never seen mm. anything like that in a, in a, in a Bond trailer before. I, I really like what they did with that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Real that, and it went back to what um, Gary was saying earlier about misdirection. Cause in, in the, in the Skyfall trailers, that's the first thing you see. And when he says Skyfall, it cuts to a flash of Ronson in the chair mm. and Bond just says done. So I went into it expecting Skyfall to be a failed mission. Yeah. Something from Bond's past that he, a mistake he made that he's now going to live up to. Yeah. And it's something completely different. Watching it back this time, and, you know, in light of the film of which we must not speak, but it is coming out in just a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> For goodness sake. Um, like, it's basically, it's like we have a court injunction from, uh, uh, what's his name? Yeah. That, that we must Eon Productions. Yeah. yeah, Eon Productions. That uh, we, we may not uh, mention the name of that organisation. Yeah. In light of that, that film coming out. McClory, up, Kevin McClory. Kevin McClory, <laughs> yes. Even, even when he's dead, he's still throwing his toys out of the ground. No. Um, in I'm glad of, they came to an arrangement, by the way. But anyway, sorry, sorry. In light of Spectre coming up... Nice job, Bachelor. Now we owe the McClory estate 50 shillings. When you watch Skyfall back, there's a lot of ambiguity about Skyfall. What happened to his parents? What happened to... What's it when they're standing in the uh, in the Scottish Highlands? And it's like, you know that. You know the whole story. Implying there is actually a story there. I wonder if that's something... If they're laying the seeds for something they're going to follow up, either in Spectre or... 100 shillings. Or in this other is films. exactly why I said not to. You're doing the exact opposite. I can't help it. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I know. So am I. I know. I know. I agree. But like, you're going to look like a fool in a week when it's there's there's no payoff at all, and it's actually nothing to do with uh, his past at all. Maybe you should uh, just quickly record a bit saying about how these threads all died and and nothing went anywhere. Just okay. Right. Slot that in if that's the case. (laughs) And obviously, the the mysterious man turned out to be James Bond's. Brother, uncle, father, best friend, mother. (laughs) I don't know. Q, quartermaster, Ben Wishall. They went the exact opposite way of uh, getting in um, the comedy button, uh, John Cleese, and they brought in a young uh, man who has, as 007 noted, spots. I was sceptical at first, but I thought he was brilliant. He, there, there's genuinely a nice rapport going between him and, and him and Bond mm-hmm. that's not the comic Desmond Llewellyn is exasperated with, oh, please bring back the equipment. I have no time for your juvenile antics or your yeah. you know, irreverent quips. This is proper, you know, they both respect the work that both of them do. They accept that both of them, the scene between them in the National Portrait Gallery, mm. they both accept that each other is necessary. They respect what each other does. They're just glad that neither of them are the other one. Yeah. There's an elegance to that scene. I love it. It's when they're looking at the fighting Temeraire. Always makes me feel a little melancholy. Grand old warship being ignominiously hauled away the scrap. The inevitability of time, don't you think? What do you see? A bloody big ship. Excuse me. 
007. I'm your new quartermaster. You must be joking. Why? Because I'm not wearing a lab coat? Because you still have spots. My complexion is hardly relevant. And your competence is. Age is no guarantee of efficiency. And youth is no guarantee of innovation. Well, has it I can do more damage on my laptop sitting in my pyjamas before my first cup of Earl Grey than you can do in a year in the field? Oh, so why do you need me? Every now and then a trigger has to be pulled. Or not pulled. It's hard to know which in your pyjamas. Q. 007. Ticket to Shanghai. Documentation and passport. Thank you. And this. Also PPKS 9mm short. There's a microdermal sensor in the grip. It's been coded to your palm print so only you can fire it. Less of a random killing machine, more of a personal statement. And this? Standard issue radio transmitter. Activate it and it broadcasts your location. Distress signal. And that's it. Gun. And a radio. Not exactly Christmas, is it? Were you expecting an exploding pen? We don't really go in for that anymore. Good luck out there in the field. And please return the equipment in one piece. Brave new world. And just sh- showing again that, you know, uh, that this, this man is a scalpel here. This man is a bulldog. That's the significance, I, I think, of um, uh, the, uh, the, the bulldog that Emma has on her desk. That's Bond. It's, you know, ugly and obstinate and, uh, and seemingly useless and more trouble than it's worth. But ultimately, she keeps it, this little, little treasured pet there, because she can't really... Um, I mean, she can see an MI6 without it, but, you know, he's, he's her favorite. That, that, that is my um, assessment of the, the bulldog itself, and that's why she ends up giving it to him. Hmm. He says as much. He says the message. Yeah. Um... And that's it. There's a really great scene when uh, uh, M and Bond are uh, put together and uh, Mallory's there and being very cutting of both of them. And you're supposed to, and this is Mendes said this, as, as an audience, you know, start to uh, object to Mallory's presence being there. And you know, he's messing everything up, saying Bond's passed it, saying M, M, M's compromised on this one. He wants them to fight. Uh, but he wants them to fight for their positions. He wants them to excel. He's actually trying to draw them out of themselves and uh, stop them from dwelling on their own personal feelings and actually fight together. It's a really excellently executed scene. You know, when you watch it again, with knowledge of who Mallory really is, it's a really, uh, it's it's telling of his character as, as being much more shrewd and less the cold fish that he first seems to be. Yeah, he definitely sees that they're a bubble and that, you mm. know, M and Bond are going to be the end of each other at some yeah. point. And then he's just trying to either protect them or, or just try and show them that, yeah, it's, it's, it's only going to end one way. Mm. 
Um, actually, the Q scene is a really excellent way of uh, uh, outlining how um, self-destructive Bond fans are, uh, you know, our, ourselves included, to, the, um, uh, to different degrees. What's the one major thing everyone always points out about being the worst part of Die Another Day? The Invisible Car. Oh, the, the Invisible, invisible car. car, exactly. And then when they're making a new Bond film, what do they get asked? Please have some gadgets in this one. What do you want, guys? If you want gadgets, we're going to eventually go for like you know crazier and crazier things until we're with invisible cars. The, the, the point of, the, of Casino Royale was always that um, you know, no, no point doing Q-Branch, no point doing gadgets. Everyone's got you know, these amazing iPhones and they can do all kinds of stuff. The only stuff that you know, we can't get access to ourselves is weaponry. But with this, Q makes the little cutting remark about, what do you want, an exploding pen? We don't go in for that sort of thing anymore. Just to sort of outline for people, okay, a gun and a radio, this is what an agent is about. There's a little bit of tech added to it, but, you know, when it comes down to it, throwing gadgets at it, and now, of course, Spectre's going to be loaded with gadgets, isn't there? 50 gold sovereigns. (laughs) (laughs) Both of those gadgets were ripped from previous films. Yeah. Yeah, yes. actually, the, the the gun that uh, can tell your palm print is from uh, License, to, License kill. to Kill, isn't it? It was yeah. the camera gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the little radio, was that from Goldfinger? Goldfinger, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. And the exploding pen, obviously, a nod to Goldeneye. Goldeneye, yes. That's three boxes ticked on the 50th anniversary oh, bingo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the challenge they're always facing with Bond films in this day and age is that a lot of crime and espionage, it's all online, it's all technical. You know, they have to have a nerd come in, such as Q, whose, you know, forte is all about hacking and, and all that side of thing. And I think that's the challenge they face with every single movie as 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 as, as we all evolve with our lovely tech and gadgets. And I think mm-hmm what they've got to do with Spectrum, what they're probably going to do is, okay, well, how do we bring the gadgets in, but not show that it's, you know, 20 years past it. Well, let's, let's come up with um, a guild of people who are almost just above everything. They're so secretive that the only way you're going to infiltrate them is with, uh, you know, uh, something a bit above, you know, uh, Googling where the hell, what the hell Spectre is. I think the other thing as well is like, as you say, Alex, like, yeah, we're, we're all evolving with our technology and gadgets, not just like you know, the smartphones and tablets and, and how much access we have to things, but even silly little gadgets, the sort of stuff you pick up in mankind. You know, we've all got that, you know, bookmark that's a USB stick or a spoon that's a selfie stick. Like, mm. you know, way back in the day, you know, the old Bond films, gadgets were like, oh my God, a watch that's a laser. We haven't got that. Now, I mean, I I have here in this room a watch that controls a remote control Aston Martin. It was a Christmas present, and it. (laughs) Um, But you know, this is the thing: we've all got these things, and yes, all right, that's merchandise directly based on this franchise. But you know, we've all got gadgets. On they don't have the sense of wonder that they did forty, fifty years ago. The other problem is the contrivance factor that, it, that Bond would always be given exactly what he needed for the uh, uh, the situation. It would be a nice misdirection if they gave Bond a gadget um, and uh, then he ended up not using it at all and they just gave it back to Q and said, didn't need this bloody pen that turns into a dinghy at all. Don't know why he gave it to me. I was going into space. Um, <laughs> yeah. But did you know, he ever that, spend that, the gold... Uh, the, you've just reminded me of something. Did he ever spend those gold sovereigns? Yeah, no, no. He was using them as a bribe. He, he, he oh, said, I'll give you all these gold sovereigns if you give me the last cigarette. And then he's like, right, well, I will monologue for a while. <laughs> I don't think he ever gave those away, though. 
so I don't know. Yeah, they, came, they came into play, didn't they? They were for the, yeah, they yeah. were u- u- in use for the bribe, but uh, I, think, I think the only gadgets that weren't used were the uh, the BMW Stinger missiles in yeah. Goldeneye. As oh, but they were used later in uh, um, World's Not Enough. Yeah, but different BMW. But uh, I think people were complaining that that BMW never got used for anything in, in particular. The hairdresser's car. Um, the actually speaking of cars. They're really leaning on Aston Martin. Four mm. films in a row now. I wonder if Daniel Craig's Bond will ever drive a Lotus. Well, he's already draw, drive, driven a Ford Mondeo. So. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> to extremely dramatic music as well. Okay, but an MI6 issue Lotus then. Yeah, okay. that won't happen anymore because Ford don't own Aston Martin. And Lotus is owned by a Korean. Uh, oh, right, okay. So, so I, he wouldn't be driving the best of British anymore. Do you think he'll have a Volkswagen with a built-in smokescreen? <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Okay, uh, so Shanghai. <laughs> Sorry, let's get off the old gadgets there. Shanghai, uh, it, there's like two establishing shots that were uh, from Shanghai in the airport. Almost all of the rest of it is shot in Docklands. It's a really, really great bit of misdirection. They, don't go, they, they didn't actually go on location for Shanghai. I love it when they do that. Yeah. Um, they uh, the the big bit with the, uh, the the lifts going up. They made a hell of a lot of that. And then they extended it with uh, computers. They made that in- entire floor at the top where the uh, the panes of glass are everywhere. People kept wandering into panes of glass, bashing their faces because it was a, uh, it was a, a, a piece of architecture designed by a lunatic. You know, designed to hit you in the face. You do wonder what that floor is used for because like, there's no office furniture. There's nothing in it. Like- have you seen how many empty offices are? I mean I work in I work in the centre of the city of London and yeah. I'm on the eleventh floor and I can look out my window and I can see lots of empty floors everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's fair. not that unusual. I need to see Bond in the Gherkin. I need to see him like jump out the side of the Gherkin. <laughs> no, we need the, the, shard, the, side. the shard is quite clearly a Bond villain's lair. Yes. Yeah. Skiing yeah. down the shard. I think the the Gherkin is becoming a cliche now for anything set in London, so yeah. let's let's steer clear of that. Okay, so, um, but yeah, the actual, that, that whole scene scenario, as you said, incredible Roger Deakins photography. Shanghai is when you first realise, well, when I first realised, this is the first Bond film being made with HD absolutely in mind. It is jaw-dropping on Blu-ray. The uh, the, the giant jellyfish swimming past uh, Patrice as he's taking aim. Uh, the first time I saw this, I didn't tie up the guy with the knock list at the beginning from Mission Impossible 1 um, uh, on the top of the train. Uh getting away as being the same guy who ends up with a sniper rifle in uh, uh, Shanghai, but it's absolutely the same guy. And there's an irony in the fact that he shoots Bond in the shoulder on, in, uh, on the right-hand side, and when Bond's hanging underneath his uh, elevator and it looks at his hand, and he's angry at his hand because his hand's not working properly, and then when he ends up holding onto Patrice with his bad hand, if Patrice hadn't shot him in the shoulder with depleted uranium, he'd have had a perfectly functioning arm to be able to pull him back up again, and then possibly... Chuck him back down again, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's his, it's his bad arm that's uh, that's pulling him there. But that that whole fight sequence is is fantastically choreographed, and uh, uh, the section just immediately after that, after Bond's just sort of lying there and the wind's blowing and the the, the window's broken, and um, Severine stands across the way staring at him has this incredible. Uh, beauty to it she's she's got this femme fatale tragedy but like clearly a woman trapped and it goes it goes it feels like it goes a lot more back to the you know the proper globe trotting bond adventure because hmm. I, I, 
as much as like quantum quantum you know leapfrogged all over the globe but you spent like five seconds in each place yeah. whereas this feels like no actually there is a purpose in each destination it felt it felt a bit more and it's the first time we've been back to asia in god knows when when did we last go to asia die another day sadly hong kong whoops okay ignoring that moving and on. korea yeah it's the suggestion with this uh, sequence though that that uh, silver is, is laying this breadcrumb trail yeah for mi6 to find uh patrice potentially though but i mean how how would silver know that that bond still had patrice's bullet lodged in his shoulder because it's the bullet that leads him to patrice and patrice leads him to silver there, there is a lot in this film of, ah, Silver planned it, ah, Silver planned it, ah, Silver planned this and this as well. And this that seems very contrived, Silver planned that too. There's a lot of him being, you it know how I mentioned be, The Dark Knight? Yeah, <laughs> Joker it has be, a huge amount of like he plans stuff and then says later, do I look like a man with a plan? But also people tend to label Batman as being able to plan for absolutely everything. Silver has that same kind of like, well, yes, he set this up for years going for him. Carry on, Gary, sorry. I was going to say, because the whole hit seems to be inconsequential. You know, mm. it's like the the main thing was that for the person who eventually finds Patrice to link him to... Um, Severin. That seemed yeah. to be the whole purpose of that event. True, but we don't we don't know who got shot. I I always assumed that was that was some some other secret mission that Silver had chosen for himself. That was some other job that he was pulling, and that guy that guy's death causes something to happen for Silver elsewhere in his business. Oh, apparently that was uh, that the painting that was being sold. Well, from the looks of it, Severin is trying to sell that person this painting it is one of the world's most famous stolen paintings and uh uh sam mendes said in the commentary if you're listening and you stole that painting please give it back uh, <laughs> so uh, that was obviously just a, a replica of it but uh, it would appear that in the fiction of the bond universe silver got it and is seem, seems to be sort of like luring people to uh, hotels in shanghai um uh, to sell them it and then shooting them from across the way and taking the money which is not good business but yeah, the, the, the reason it leads to the next trail of breadcrumbs is that he picks out a, uh, a casino chip from the briefcase that's Patrice's payment. Um, and that leads into the casino. The, the shaving turns up where uh, Eve comes in just to tell him that um, Mallory is actually a, a straight shooter uh, at well, the, the time we're starting to doubt him and also just to sort of reiterate that this is the one girl that Bond can't have however you could very arguably say that a lot of sex is less intimate than this shaving scene and that when Bond has sex with any old floozy he doesn't give or trust anywhere near as much as he does at this moment. 
Mm. It's, a, it's, it's a very good steamy... I think it's, it's the steamiest scene that we've had between Bond and a money penny. Mm. And I think, and for me, again, purest Bond fanboy alert, this is the furthest I'd like them to take that relationship. I mean, I know that there's the there's the the little joke, like barely two minutes later, that um, oh, you know, it's amazing what you can do with an extra pair of hands. I don't think they still up together. I don't, I think Money Penny, this Money Penny particularly, is stronger than that. It's kind of she's teasing him as much as she, he's teasing her. I don't want it to go any further than that shave. Yeah. Well, no, actually, if you think about it, after Bond's had sex with any of the girls, he very rarely makes jokes with them about sex. It, it's it's kind of like down to business after that. It's true. Yeah. And then, you know, half the time they die. But <laughs> I think significantly as well, whenever they've had, um, and they have tried frequently, um, notably with um, Halle Berry, although that kind of fell flat on its face, the, the idea of, you know, here's a woman that's Bond's equal and he's finally... At his match, and the significance of Money Penny is they work for the same organisation. That's mm. not something that he's encountered before. Mm. The other women, you know, if they're if they're agents, fine, but they're KGB or they're you know there's some other organisation that he doesn't have to have anything to do with. Mm. She is somebody he's going to have to keep dealing with. So shagging and walking away is probably not the best way forward. And mm. that, I think, the most interesting thing about that for me was that's not a challenge he's had to deal with before. Yeah. Well, he had it briefly in Man with a Golden Gun with Mary Goodnight, but um, that's just a completely True. different generation. That, and, yeah, <laughs> that was the most inept uh, agent you've ever seen, you know, uh, in, in a Bond movie ever. So... The less said was about. she brought on to fulfill an equality quota or something? <laughs> well, she was actually from the book. She was in it as much as Moneypenny was. Yeah. Um, oh, so I guess wow. they wanted to, 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 to do something with that character. But I, I think, yeah, that's uh, see, for you, another you, chat. You say goodnight, all I hear is somebody locked me in a boot. It's yeah. Just moving on. <laughs> Um, speaking of Roger Moore era, uh, this whole casino section actually does remind me of the Moore era. It's also um, home to the and the progenitor of the only two bum, three bum notes of this film. Uh, and they were big bum notes the first time I saw it. I was like, ugh, ugh. And I wasn't sure if I liked the film that much after these. Um, and, but, you know, going back to it, it's just like, if you can get past them, everything else is great, at least for me. The cartoon Gila monster... Komodo dragon. What is the point of that? When you're actually doing the real life stunts, you like sticking in a, a, a CGI monster when everyone's very familiar with CGI monsters. Yeah. Like when you from a series where they actually did run and jump across the top of crocodiles, you know, and they put they didn't exactly have Bond actually fight a shark or Jaws actually fight a shark. It was a rubber shark. Uh, but the the bit where um, they, they actually had underwater shots of sharks for uh, when they needed them to be threatening. Uh, but the bit in Moonraker with the rubber snake, exactly yeah. the same as this. Oh. When you do a bad fake animal interacting with a human, doing it badly, uh, this is what happens. It doesn't matter if it's bad CG or bad rubber. It looks rubbish. Don't bother. Did it need lizards at all? Because it was quite a good yep. fight before the lizards turn up. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, here's the thing. You know, the, the, the guy picks up the gun, points it at Bond. Bond marches across, punches him in the face, and snaps his neck. That should have actually been yeah. what happened. It's just basically like him fearlessly walking into his gun, knowing it's not going to go off, and the guy going, oh, just before he gets horribly killed. Oh, well, added to the fact those things don't kill you instantly anyway. They bite you, and they wait several days for you to die. That's yeah. the way those creatures... Um, 
the Komodo dragons work. They're evil, but they don't, you know, eat you like a bloody crocodile. Begin the unnecessarily slow Komodo dragon. I'm assuming that casino has wranglers, so if if someone falls in the pit, that they can like go in and help them. But from the sounds of it, as he's leaving, the guy's still being torn apart by a giant lizard. It does feel a bit crowbarred in. It's like, okay, we need a situation where the gun thing doesn't work for a guy who picks Bond's gun up, and that that was it. Hmm. But the, it, it, it didn't require a, uh, a, a, a lizard after it. But Sharon, what were you going to say? I was going to make a bad joke about rancors. It doesn't matter. That's all right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. Uh, so he, he talks to Severine and... Um, I love her performance. It's brittle and guarded. And um, the, Sam Mendes described it as a combination of uh, a f- fear and desire, as in she desires Bond. And obviously she, she wants him to help her as well. For me, it was fear and trying to be as desirable as possible. She is trying to present Bond with uh, a prize for if you kill this man for me, who I am so afraid of, you can have me any which way you want, which is a bit Roger Moore-ish. It's mm. very. It's, it's specifically Maud Adams in uh, *Man with the Golden Gun*. Exactly, and what happens to Maud Adams? She dies. Exactly. You know, she's a fantastic actress, and she's not really given much to do aside from that brittle scene. And then the shower scene where Bond sort of walks in bollock naked. That is so creepy. I think on Charlie Brooker you mentioned that wouldn't it have been uh, even more creepy had the camera panned out and you'd seen that Bond obviously has an erect penis at that scene. <laughs> He's walking in like, I've got this, you know. And he, like, it would be, it would have been okay if he just sort of come in and then she turns around and sees him and there's sort of an electricity in the air and then they start kissing. But he makes a little joke about it. He goes, I like you better without your Beretta. I feel naked without it. That's pure more. It sticks out like a sore thumb. It's also so massively insensitive, given that not an hour, hour and a half before that shower, he Hmm. found out that she was sold into a sex trade at the age of 12. Yes. This is a woman that you maybe don't want to exploit. You know, just just because you can, don't. You know? Maybe treat it with a bit of courtesy. I know you're James Bond, but wouldn't that be a turn-up for the books? Maybe he's so damn horny after that shave with Moneypenny, he's like, (laughs) I just need to release this. i got to fuck something! Uh, So, yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) kind of makes it worse. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always just so jarring, because in Quantum of Solace, when he's just wandering around that hotel room and just says to Strawberry Fields, oh, I I need help finding the stationery. I mean, That's the best come-get-me line ever. I want to see if that works on someone. That's awful, because like, she's so frosty with him in the car, and then uh, they go in the hotel room, can't find the stationery. I'm all yours. And like, it, takes him, <laughs> like, it takes him less time to bed strawberry than it takes him time to kill that guy that he wanders into the hotel room of earlier. He wanders into the hotel room, <laughs> ten seconds elapsed, there's a fight, he kills him. It takes less time to bed strawberry. <sighs> anyway, it's... That's so creepy and depressing. I actually think that, like, the, the scene with Solange in Casino Royale is so fucking sexy and really well handled. So you can do Bond seducing, most definitely in this day and age. Mm. And the scene with Money Penny, fucking sexy, really fantastic. That there's a difference between that and CD kind of got Bond gotta have it, you know. <laughs> and I'm so glad that they kind of dispensed with that and then made it about M after that in terms of you know, who's the Bond girl in this one. 
and we um, we've got to move on to that section. But uh, yeah, so the last part of this podcast should be talking about silver and M and just the gap but from this point on the whole end of the film sort of gathers momentum into the sort of like this it's it's like a it's a two act structure of sort of you know and then did it then the same again um it's amazing how long that first act is though we when when I was watching it like we um we got up to we kind of paused um after when bond arrests silver on the island that's clearly from the depths of Inception subconscious. It is. Uh, I, I was honestly looking out for Leonardo DiCaprio just being washed up on a shore somewhere in the background. It is, um, however, based on an actual Japanese island. Yes, yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's a real place. Um, but we paused when still. Bond arrests uh, Silver, and that's something like an hour and something into the... It's an hour and something into the movie, hour and 24 minutes into the movie. After that, you've only got an hour left, and... That 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 that, that hour long second half with you know the the chase through London and the Skyfall stuff and the courtroom scene and all and the ending like that's such a packed hour that feels like it's a lot longer so the pacing of that last hour is amazing yeah and it really does pick up the pace there's uh, the the last bomb note is again about Severine when uh, Silver takes him outside and does the sort of the mock execution kind of reminds me of that really dark execution in Moonraker. Again, with yes. uh, the dogs and that kind of these just women, are, you know, they have displeased me, but they are my playthings, blah, 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 blah. Um, what bothers me about that scene is not what Silver's doing, but the way that um, uh, Bond's in action at that stage. At the point that he's clearly planning to do exactly what he does, which is to basically, you know, shoot the shit out of all of them. Um, but he waits until Severine's dead. Why not just do it two seconds earlier? Mm. And then, you know, because the the only thing he says when she dies is waste of good scotch. That's all we're left with. That's all it seems that he regards her with. That's a sort of a throwback to the cold ass bond from Quantum of Solace. And it I, doesn't work at this point. I read that as yeah, the waste of good scotch. He's trying not to show weakness in front of Silver. Yeah. Um, particularly given that Silver's just said, look at all your weaknesses you've got. I've got a full report here. Um in terms of the wait until Severine's dead, I think he's waiting until um, Silver has shot that gun because the old timey guns they will clearly only have one shot. Given the weakened state Bond is in, or the less you know the the subpar performance he can do, one shot is all Silver needs to put Bond out of action. Once that shot's gone, right, that's when all bets are off. Come on, James, you're making excuses. You know, James, that if he had the <laughs> slightest sorry. interest in preserving her life, he would have actually done something. If that had been Vesper there and it get cared, he'd have done something. And he has absolutely every ability to do something. Some concession to either A, doing something to preserve her life, or B, regret that she died. We needed one of those two things. We don't get either of them. It is a bum note. Um, but... Yeah, there, there may have been practical reasons why he couldn't, but uh, either way, it's it's pretty sour. However, Silver, uh, for this whole... Look, they only actually get, like, two scenes together, really, where they're actually talking. It's this one, um, and they're not really talking much there, and the Silver giving his rat story, and he's entering here. Um, I said to Sharon yesterday that Mendes wanted to hold him back and hold him back and not show you who he was. Kind of pointless if you've seen him in the trailer. Kind of pointless if you know that he's Javier Bardem and you've seen No Country for Old Men. Shot by Roger Deakins. Um, but I compared it to the Joker in, in The Dark Knight, which obviously they're trying to emulate. You saw Joker in scene one, and it's 
riveting and then he's repeatedly shown throughout would it really have hurt this film's first act to show silver at the beginning just a, a couple of scenes where he's sort of you know organizing something and uh, you know to sort of like get you hooked and go right so this is the villain i can't wait for bond to meet him because when he finally does meet him and there's that really fantastic slow sort of walk in they have that great scene together but then because that's his first, like, you know, this is who he is, he's then immediately imprisoned and it feels almost too quick. Like it's like, and he's suddenly, he's in a, he's in a cell. They used, they used to do that with most of the old Bond villains, like particularly like um, Blofeld, you'd see him like, you know, just stroking a cat off, you know, off yeah. camera. Yeah. Um, or in You Only Live Twice, he, he was there throughout the start of the film mm. and Bond doesn't meet him until about, like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes towards the end. Mm. But I think in this modern era, um, there is a lot more call for fascinating villains and less call for mysterious villains. Uh, it, just in terms of like the preserving that mystery of, ooh, who is it? Who is it? With promotion of it being everywhere, it's either in, pretty much impossible to preserve them. Like, we know who's playing. We know Christoph Waltz. We know the kind of person he plays. We can pretty much expect what sort of person he's going to be. So, for example, oh, I'm doing it. If we don't get to see him for an hour and a half of Spectre, a king's ransom. When it finally happens, we're going to be excited, but we're also going to be robbed of an hour and a half of really potentially great scenes. Not robbed, but like they would not have capitalized on it. So, I mean, just, you know, I, I, I could have done with a lot more silver. He's a great character. That's technically yeah. to the film's credit. I also like the fact that uh, um, Silver... Here's uh, one uh, review uh, somebody uh, put on our site. I have just watched Skyfall. I think it's very good. It, Javier Bardem, Silver, is a very good villains. But he come across as a very gay at time, which is obviously (laughs) an issue for this guy. Uh, And he does come across as a very gay at time, uh, which is great and disarming. And it made a lot of the men in the audience feel uncomfortable and good. It was a nice redressing of uh, what they, uh, you know, I, I bemoaned in the past, the, the treatment of Mr. Winter, Mr. Kid in um, uh, Diamonds Are Forever. And just, you know, oh, watch your backs, guys. They'll bum you from behind and then put scorpions down the back of your head. Oh, by the way, we said back in that podcast that uh, he, he doesn't finish with a kiss offline. He does. He certainly left with a tail, his tail between his legs. Oh, God, yeah. Bomber surprise. Now, it's quite likely that uh, Silver is the first definitely gay Bond villain, or maybe simply bisexual, or maybe feigning homosexuality to put Bond on the back foot. And indeed, by extension, in a meta sensibility, the male members of the audience looking for wish fulfillment fantasies, because no one wants to imagine themselves in a chair. Sorry, certainly not no one. But certainly not your classic Bond fan isn't going to be like, oh, yeah, and then maybe the villain could start fingering at the nape of my neck because that's challenging and that's brave for them to do it. But beyond that, it was an excellent power play between them and and, uh, Bond trying to um, not show that he's being made uncomfortable by this. What makes you think this is my first time? Hello, James. Welcome. Do you like the island? My grandmother had an island, nothing to boast of. We could walk around it in an hour, but still it was, it was a paradise for us. One summer, we went for a visit and discovered the place had been infested with rats. 
it come on a fishing boat and gorged themselves on coconut. So how do you get rats off an island? Hmm? My grandmother showed me. We buried an oil drum and hinged the lid. Then we wired coconut to the lid as bait, and the rats would come for the coconut, and boing, 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 boing. they would fall into the drum. And after a month, you've trapped all the rats. But what did you do then? Throw the drum into the ocean? Burn it? No. You just leave it. And they begin to get hungry. And one by one, they start eating each other until there are only two left, the two survivors. And then what? Do you kill them? No. You take them and release them into the trees. But now they don't eat coconut anymore. Now they only eat rat. You have changed their nature. The two survivors. This is what she made us. I made my own choices. Hmm. You think you did. That's her genius. Well, obviously, we've had to move on from, you know, the bad guy just having metal hands or a volcano, which is also the, the, the lair. You know, that they've got to have something, that they've got to have a bit more gravitas to it, right? And mm-hmm. when you've got an actor like Javier Bardem, then I, th- I think you're just going to go all out, aren't you? And yeah. I, 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 I was thoroughly impressed by it. And I think, you know, this is the whole reason Daniel Craig has chosen to be Bond and sticks with Bond, because he needs that personal attachment it's no longer about going on a mission and saving some you know saving the world for some bad guy in in a chair there's got to be you've got to feel for it he's got to have an emotional attachment to it and i think mm. that that kind of curveball you get where you think oh well, hang on how's he going to handle this and then he just comes back and says oh what do you think is my first time you kind of think well yeah this is uh this is a brave new world this is good i like this you know and I, I think you know that monologue as well where he just comes down the lift just totally sets it up but i think it's it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie to be honest with you i get goosebumps watching it although i do watch that that monologue scene because it's it's as he comes down the lift and then walks towards and there is not a single cutaway i do wonder how many takes there were where he goes oh bugger sorry mugged up my line can we start again <laughs> i said cats i meant to say rats i said <laughs> i said cats um I, I i like the thing i like about him is um he's obviously this wonderfully compelling villain to watch there's there's a charisma to him um but it's sort of like the fact that he is this fallen mi6 agent and he is this this could have been bond past bond sort of he's kind of he's a lot more impressive as a fallen mi6 agent than 006 yeah 006 was just sean bean let's wait for you to die um, this guy's like, you know, you can see kind of, uh, you know, the, the bitterness, like, you know, when he's the, the bitterness he once had, and then the joy he now has in what he's doing now, was it when he's trying to sell it to Jay, you know, to, to bond, like, Oh, you pick your own secret missions. You can do this, you can do that. So it's like, you can tell us like, yeah, you, you just, you live life. You're free in your opinion. You are completely free. And he's, he's loving that. And it's just, it's really interesting seeing a, a villain who, is not while he's driven by some purpose he's also driven by the fact that they just love the lifestyle they lead mm. what did you score on your marksmanship evaluation 70. <laughs> 40. did she tell you the psychologist cleared you for duty yes no no 
medical evaluation, fail, physical evaluation, fail, psychological evaluation, alcohol and substance addiction indicated. Oof. Pathological rejection of authority based on unresolved childhood trauma. Subject is not approved for field duty and immediate suspension from service advised. What is this if not betrayal? <laughs> she sent you off to me knowing you're not ready, knowing you would likely die. Mommy was very bad. And he's very relaxed as well. There, there, there's, there, there is a, a, a tension between his relaxed exterior and the clear psychotic amounts of rage he's sitting on that the, the bit of the end when uh, uh, he uh, goes what have they done to you and that that, that was uh, kind of improvised by Bardem at the time and then they sort of w- reworked it into the scene uh, when he's talking to M basically M pushes his buttons to the point where he's got these you know feelings of uh, uh, of um, softness and dependency on her from before and at the same time, he hates her so much. So, like, um, when he goes, he's sort of like, he's he's gritting his teeth like he wants to tear her to pieces at the end there, but he can't bring himself to do it. It's uh, it's so intense. And unlike most other Bond performances, there's similar... I felt sorry for him, kind of similar to the way Reynard in um, mm. uh, Die Another... Uh, well, well, it's not enough. Um oh, <laughs> We're on a Brosnan mystery tour there. Um, <laughs> Reynard in uh, What Is Not Enough had that sort of sense of like, you know, you have lost something as a result of this. And um, yeah, the, the, the effects of hydrogen cyanide, truly chilling scene. And clearly it's something he's been waiting to do for a long, long time. Mm. It's nightmare-inducing uh, what what happens there. It, it kind of it calls to mind concentration camp victims. It's really chilling, and it's it's impossible to hate someone who um, you can comprehend has suffered that much. Regrets is unprofessional. They kept me for five months in a room with no air. They tortured me, and I protected your secrets. I protected you, but they made me suffer and suffer. It was you who betrayed me. You betrayed me. So I had only one thing left. My cyanide capsule, my back left molar. You remember, right? So I broke the tooth and bit into the capsule. burned all my insides, but I didn't die. Life clung to me like a disease. And then I understood why I had survived. I needed to look in your eyes one last time. Well, I hope it was worth it. Mr. Silver, you're going to be transferred to Belmarsh Prison, where you'll be remanded in custody until the Crown Prosecution Service deem you fit to stand trial for... Say my name. Say it. My real name. 
I know you remember it. Your name is on the memorial wall of the very building you attacked. I will have it struck off. Soon, your past will be as non-existent as your future. I'll never see you again. Do you know what it does to you? Hydrogen cyanide? You know, despite all of his terrible actions, there's a it, it adds that extra dimension to him. Let's talk about M because we've got limited time left. Of uh, who's who's got to go at ten? Me, and yeah, me. James. Me. Oh God, everyone's oh, got to go. Right, fuck it. Okay, seventeen minutes on M uh, because this whole fight. Like I have, we've talked and talked about Skyfall, and we aren't even really halfway through the film yet. Um, it's a series of action sequences that all basically put. 007 and M together in close quarters and I hadn't realized until Sam Mendes mentioned it how few lines Bond has in the movie so much of what he does is wordless so a lot of it falls to Judy Dench for her swan song performance M go I think you're right yeah Bond is literally clearing up M's mess you know this 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 whole film is based around M's choices that she made in the past and and Bond's just like you know playing catch up and trying to you know he's just purely just damage control um and that's what i was going to say so go james i was just going to say that yeah she's it's her best best performance in in the series so far and she's going to be so sadly missed as much as i love where they're taking the m character and it also you know losing losing judy dench kind of clears up now the horrible cross timeline thing confusion that people get you know that well hang on judy dench is there so is this set off it's not difficult (laughs) i know it's not difficult but people get so people get confused you still have there is another bond podcast that is convinced that these happen in the same timeline because of the aston martin they're crazed they it's are they're just mental. a reference to previous um, Bond films. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm not going to rant about that because I will spend 17 minutes on it, in fact. So, <laughs> no. Um, the uh, yeah, M, a beautiful performance, wonderful performance. It's, it's fantastic seeing her kind of watch what she's she's done to this this agent you know bond you know that she believes in that she she sees his ability she knows what he's capable of and she kind of feels you know she's she's responsible for him she's you know she's the one that decided to make him a double o she's the one that knew what he was capable of and then you've got that you know juxtaposed against this other agent that she completely gave up on and she does a really good job of showing as little emotion as possible about him but you can tell that she sees him as this huge mistake that she should have uh, should have remedied a long time ago Hmm. she's kind of a tragic figure in the fact that really he's the only thing she's got left it's it's mentioned that she's a widow now which yeah you have to get to see her husband in bed uh um in i think casino royale yeah and and obviously MI6 is crashing around, you know, falling apart around her. Uh, she's been told that you know she's going to be moved Forced on in a couple retired, of months. Yeah. yeah, unless she sorts her shit out, basically. So you know, the house of cards that she built has has fallen up. You know, it's falling around her basically, and the only person she's really got left is Bond. Mm. Um, and so it's 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 why the way the film ends and the kind of melancholic tone of that uh, that, that final 
acts. It's it just brilliantly um, set up and played by you know, by Judy Dench. There, you know, it's just yeah. you really you really get that sense that you know even before she's mortally wounded that she knows this is the end. You know, this yeah. is the this is it for her. Um, did any of you guys? Did any of you guys sort of have a hunch that she might get killed? At the yes, end, yes, after yes. that scene between Mallory and Em at the start. No, Not I'll at be the honest, start. I didn't. The I mean, scene when they they sent you up in the middle when uh, Silver bursts in uh, after his incredibly perfectly executed plan uh, <laughs> to the deposition uh, where um, Lucius Malfoy's wife is basically grilling him. <laughs> Um, and he's about to shoot her and then hesitates for a second and doesn't. It, that always seemed to be like, oh, come on, you're so close, just finish her off. But at the same time, I'm so glad he didn't. But like that legitimizes it for the audience. If the audience are like, oh, my God, Em's about to die, and they believe it at that point, they can cope with it better at the end. Yeah. But I didn't think yeah. at the beginning that they would actually be doing that. Okay. Um. The, the fact that it also takes place in, in, in Bond's um, home of Skyfall, again, the fact that he's wordless about it, it's not that much of an exploration of his past. We knew his parents were rich and that they died in a climbing accident uh, and that he went to you know boarding school and then joined the Navy. Him going back is not really exploring his past all that much. It's just enough that you can just get sort of an idea of a young Bond. And the, the thing that Kincaid says about him going into the priest's hole immediately after finding out about his parents' death, being in there for two days, and then coming out a different person, that is as much as you really need to know about Bond. In fact, if you remember in the uh, title sequence, when you're going through that tunnel over and over again, you go through the crack in the door of that to see Bond's eyes looking out from behind. Mm. Um, that actually sorry just to because it's significant to that point um that is kind of what his coming back after his shooting is reminiscent of for me as well he goes away he closes the door then when he's ready he comes back out again and something's changed yeah i think what's ironic is that uh the whole scottish backstory for bond was written by fleming after connery had played bond oh of course (laughs) um you know he, he he was so impressed with connery's performance that he he added the, the Scottish ancestry to his character mm. in his novels. So it's it's kind of like uh, you know, it's got a full circle, really. Well, it was at one point that Kincaid was going to be played by Sean Connery, wasn't it? I'm yeah. so glad they didn't do that. Yeah, that, yeah, that would have been a, that would have been a step too far. I mean, and I was um, initially frustrated, but that, thinking about it, it would have completely like you'd be looking so much at Connery and thinking, "Oh, this is his last Bond," and it would have taken away the thunder of M, the last yeah. Dench. Yeah. Mm. I just wish they'd actually had a Scottish actor. I wish they'd chosen like Brian Cox or something like that. Um, Albert Finney was I mean, great, Albert, though, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I, I like Albert Finney a lot. Welcome to Scotland, son. His Scottish accent did kind of fall apart a couple of times. You know, it slipped into <laughs> his Irish lilt, but you know, yeah. uh, there's a lot of Irish in uh, Scotland anyway, so I suppose you can get away with it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm personally, I'm still kind of glad that they didn't take the backstory too far. The, I, the thing that still riles me up slightly about Skyfall is the fact that they do go to his home and they go into his child. You know, they, they, there's such obvious references to his childhood and this that, and the other. And I think it's for, because for me, Bond has always been and will to an extent always be. A, an avatar, a kind of cardboard cutout character that we, you know, we don't need to know his backstory. All we need to know is, you know, villain of the week is this guy. Cool fights, cool gadgets, etc. It's it's very much an adventure for us to go on. You, 
delve too much into a character's past, it makes it it takes it away from the the kind of the the light-hearted fun action flick that the other ones that I grew up with. I recognise this is entirely pure fan again. It became that. It yeah. didn't necessarily start. I mean, he started out as a cold, hard killer. Yeah. Um, and it's... almost this reboot has almost done exactly the same thing. I think um, had they had they not made the decisions they did after Goldfinger, which, as you know, I always point the finger of blame at. Mm. Um, the Goldfinger of blame. The Goldfinger of blame. Uh, I think they pro- probably would have gone in that direction. They no, would have yeah, started yeah. to explore mm. his backstory a bit more because that was the natural evolution of the character. You want to know more. I mean, if you think of other fictional characters like Sherlock Holmes and stuff, um, the authors have always done that. You know, they start off by creating the character, and then they they have some great stories that they can they can uh, use with them, and then slowly but surely they then start to reveal their backstory. And mm. they did they did it with. If I you think, shy away just, from I, characterization on. too much, uh, James, you're going to eventually end up with Octopussy, or, yes. or, or with Die Another Day, where it just okay, sort of yeah. descends into just giving people exactly what they want in, yeah. in, in like there's there's got to be a certain amount of attaching it to something actual real and dramatic regarding I, the character i think the problem with the bond movies is you, you just can't have it both ways you know yeah. i mean from doctor no to die another day the one thing that they could always hang on that was an emotional heartstring puller was the fact that they had a wife mm. and she got killed yeah. um but yeah as you as you know it, it's very episodic with each actor it starts off quite well with the first of their movies and there's always some good element of suspense and drama and then by the end of it it's batshit crazy <laughs> so because they've just had to go all out and it, it's all about bums on seats and yeah. spectacle um and that's what's so different about the, the daniel craig ones you know they're, they're they're having some emotional connection now and, and yeah, yeah that's what they have to do they have to go back to to what makes them who they are to that end if they maintain that and don't just keep giving you the explosions and the villain of the week it won't go in the usual directions. I mean, I fully expect the next movie to be a bit more batshit crazy than the first three that Daniel Craig's been in, because that's how they kind of go anywhere. That's how they evolve. You know, right. Mm. Certainly I, by I, the fourth film of each bonds. Uh, oh yeah. It's yeah. They're, they're, they're going nuts. <laughs> You've run out of things to entertain the kids with and just started giving them sweets. We already know yes. that the uh, name we mustn't mention uh, is one is the most expensive Bond. I think it's like 300 and something million already. Wow. Like, that's ridiculous for a Bond film. Finale being in Bond's house uh, is, a, is a wonderful reversal of the uh, well, pretty much the exact. It's the exact opposite of, of what you're pitching towards, James. The the enemy base, wherein yeah. two armies are fighting and it eventually explodes. Uh, the, it's Bond's enemy base. Two armies are fighting and then it eventually explodes. <laughs> but as Bond points out, unlike all of these enemies who have spent ages like putting together these enemy bases in hollowed out volcanoes and under the sea, I never like this place anyway. Uh, he, it is. There's a catharsis in blowing it up. He wants to get rid of it. It's already been sold out from under him anyway. He, he doesn't feel any attachment to it. In fact, you know, for, for all of your, uh, I don't like the fact that they go back to Bond's past. They destroy Bond's past. Yeah. I mean, the first time I watched this, you know, this this scene, I think 
for me, it's my it, it was my least favourite of the Bond climaxes because it's so low stakes. There's not a giant base. The world's not at stake. It is literally just two people against a few you know a, a, a few mercenaries in a random bit of Scottish moor. How is that not um, high stakes? It's two people we love, and one of them dies as a result of it. That's the highest stakes imaginable. It's high personal stakes, but it's very low stakes in terms of the grand scheme of the mission. Usually the missions were about saving the world or saving a country. Well, you know that the world's going to be safe. That's no stakes. No, I know. You know Drax isn't going to succeed, right? <laughs> my my point my point being like I, I initially I I wasn't a, a fan of it, particularly because the the home alone elements of setting up the uh, <laughs> the, the, the the mansion. Yes. But every time I watch it back, I really do appreciate. It. Actually, this is such a personal climax. It's one of the best ones. Absolutely. All this whole film has been about laying elements of the Bond series, some of the, which have been unseen up until now, in front of the viewer, destroying them, rebuilding them, and saying, are these relevant anymore? And uh, they, it's a way of clearing out uh, uh, you know, traces of the old by making kind of fun of them, like with the gadgets. And it's a way of reappraising M and you know, reseating uh, uh, the, 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 the classic male-on-male M um, in, in a way that is satisfying and and feels like they've considered it as opposed to just, oh, we've got to do this because it's the opposite of what we've done before. It's almost like Skyfall following a really great Bond film and then a really kind of compromised Bond film. Um, is it, it's, it's, it's not so much another reboot, but it's a very considered reboot rather than just going for what's the polar opposite of Die Another Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, Bond himself is shot and left for dead by Money Penny's hand. They burn down the castle of MI6. They compromise the retreat. The, they open up the new digs, then the, the new digs get popped open because they're up against a villain who knows even more about computers than their best computer specialist. Uh, the uh, justice is pulling, like the, the, the government is pulling M down to say, account for yourself. They don't want MI6 doing what they're doing. They're saying, in this day and age, there are no more shadows. And M gives that. There's a moment where, um, in fact, uh, Silver gives a statement about, you know, you are the one living in the ruin as well, um, referring to the, the ruin of the British Empire. And it's M's quoting of Tennyson, which is the rejoinder to that, of saying, no, there is something to be said for what we do and for... You know, for Britain in general, which is a really lovely kind of, it's not too flag wavy, despite the presence of several Union Jacks, but it makes a, a classy statement on the continued revel- relevance of the Bond series. And they even destroy the Aston Martin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In a way that will make people go, no! But, um, it clearly uh, made Daniel Craig really cross. Yeah, uh, but to, to the, the, the you know as a precursor to actually finally robbing us of the the M we've come to love, um, so that we can start fresh. But in a way, it's not just about Bond starting fresh. It's not just about Craig's Bond starting fresh. It's about sort of laying down the franchise in a. a, a an elegant celebration rather than the fairly disgusting celebration of, say, 
die another day. <laughs> yes. Well, it's I think what we learned is, yeah, that the bomb producers, they, they will do what they can to keep this franchise alive. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's very clear that, that certain films have been based on what's, what's just big in entertainment. You know, Moonraker came out only a few years after Star Wars and Living Let Die was just based on black exploitation. You know, they look at what's going on in the world and go, okay, we've got to keep this franchise alive. What the hell do we do? But now they're just going, well, we can kill M. We can blow up an Aston Martin. We will do what we want and you'll be okay with that because these Bond films will just keep coming. And now you haven't got a clue what we're going to do next. And that's what really excites me. Yeah. You know, we've never formally been introduced. Oh. Well, my name's Eve. Eve Moneypenny. I look forward to our time together, Miss Moneypenny. Me too. I'm sure we'll have one or two close shaves. Morning, Dollar Seven. Good morning, Tanner. I'll see you now. How's the arm, sir? What? Oh, it's fine. It'll get better. All pretty shocking for someone unused to field work. So, 007. Lots to be done. Are you ready to get back to work? With pleasure, M. With pleasure. So where does this rank on everybody's uh, um, Bond list? Um, Gary, first. Um, I think after much consideration, it's in my top three. Okay. You got Thunderball way up the top, as I recall. You you Uh, No, on a major secret service and Casino Royale. Oh, cool. Uh, Okay. uh, Probably my... I think I'd probably prefer this to Casino Royale, but mainly I find it a lot more watchable. I find... Casino um, Royale to be uh, quite challenging in places, and so therefore not something you, you know you can. It's a great film, but not something I enjoy watching over and over again. Whereas this, it's got so much stuff going on in it. Every time I watch it, it's there's something else to spot, and so mm-hmm. um, I find very few things in this film to annoy me. You've mentioned a few, but um, it just it just seems to be perfectly constructed, and I can't get past the fact about how gorgeous it looks. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's that's like a, as big a deal as how good the story is and how good the acting is for, for you know it's a visual medium and these films sh- you know should look good but this film looks except it's one of the best looking films of any film i've seen over the past decade it's just yeah. sumptuous and uh, and for that reason it's right up there they managed to make Scotland look absolutely fantastic, and it's this giant, dead-looking moor covered in bracken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every every different location is just beautifully shot and framed. It's just yeah. stunning. And I know I'm a Deakins fan, but even so, even for him, it sounds, it's breathtaking. And I, it's pleasing to see, actually, he got a lot of uh, accolades for his work on this film. James, speaking of how good it looks, um, obviously this is the first one without your beloved... Um, David Arnold, what do you think of how it sounds? Uh, you know what, Thomas Newman's doing a reasonably good job. There's a couple of uh, moments in the score that I absolutely, I really do enjoy. 
particularly it's um it's the istanbul opening when they're on the motorbikes on the rooftops it bursts into the the traditional four note james bond theme for the first time Mm -hmm. um i i kind of find the score quite unspectacular Mm -hmm. i'm but i put that down to because this is still a kind of a bond beginning story they're building up to the fact that they you know they're not they're not using the 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 full theme tune flamboyant flamboyantly which by the end you know david arnold was kind of doing i think it's different as well like nowadays not many films have a theme tune for their hero that happens every time the hero is doing something Mm. um but no, Newman's. It's a good start for Newman. I'm intrigued to see what he'll do in the film that we must, must not name. <laughs> uh, and where does it stand on your uh, uh, list? Um, it's it's my second favorite uh, Craig film, second only to Casino Royale. I still keep clarifying that you know, I have a favorite Craig film and a favorite old Bond film because I I feel like I have to draw that line because so many idiots don't. Um, in terms of overall 50 year Bond franchise, I'd say it's definitely in top 10 and it rises every time I watch it. I find less and less to be petty about and more to enjoy. Alex? Yeah, I mean, I'm with James. I, I definitely will never tire of watching Skyfall. I do think it is a classic film, but it's also a classic Bond film as well. There's there's so much in there for uh, for the old guard of Bond fans and, and anyone who's new or just likes these kind of movies there's there's just so much in it it's great i think it probably for me just sits just outside of the top five um which is pretty high for me no i i i love this one it's a really it's a really good one and i think yeah i totally agree casino royale you need to be in the mood for it you need to sit down and just have a bit of time for it but with skyfall you you could put it on on christmas day or put it on you know just when you just want to have it on in the background it's just one of those movies but yeah it looks great and I, th- I think this is Daniel Craig at the top of his game, and and as I said, you know, having Sam Mendes direct it is just a, an absolute um, uh, perfect choice for for what they needed at the time with the franchise. Mm. Sharon. Well, I mean, I have to confess, I'm a bit of a Daniel Craig Bond fan girl. Anyway, um, there is very little of the Bond franchise as a whole that I will happily sit down and watch as an actual film rather than it being about nostalgia and cheesiness Mm. um so i think my it's certainly my my top two are probably casino royale and skyfall um i don't actually know what number three would be probably live and let die again for aforementioned nostalgia reasons because it was the the turtle (laughs) 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 turtle. (laughs) Uh, my favorite two are casino royale and skyfall and my uh, third favorite is uh goldeneye um I think Casino Royale just about tops it um, because I don't think there's a single bum note in it for me. Obviously, there's three bum notes in Skyfall. It's very close, though. And uh, When I originally saw it, I was a bit sort of, are they ever going to get back to Casino Royale level? Skyfall's a grower for me, and uh, every time I watch it, uh, there's more to see and more to like about it. And the more used to the new MI6 I get, the more excited I am for Bond's future. And... um, yeah, the I, I watched not all the Bond films, but I took Lyra through all the Bond films um, 
basically showing her bits of each one so she could get an idea of them. And she really has a distaste for Sean Connery's Bond. She calls him Pig Bond <laughs> because he's the biggest, like, piggish uh, uh, type uh, behaving Bond. Uh, she, you know, she calls uh, Roger Moore the Turtle Bond, but he's also a pig, apparently. Um, she uh, wasn't particularly fussed about the... Um, uh, uh, Lazenby, but really liked the uh, and was sad about the uh, end of uh, Honor Secret Service. Um, she quite liked Dalton and she liked Pierce Brosnan to begin with, but then she noticed that he was becoming more and more piggy as time went on. <laughs> and uh, she really, really liked the Craig Bond. She said, I like the serious one. And then um, ultimately, what it came down to was uh, when he's holding Vesper in the shower. And uh, it's after the um, the intensity of that. Uh, Gary, you were remembering the, um, uh, the the intensity of that stairwell sequence, and you were wondering why it was so violent. And they dwelled on the violence so much. I finally, after many years, have an answer for you. It, it's because of Vesper. Um, that whole scene traumatizes Vesper, and she can't cope. So when uh, he goes into the shower and she's there, mm-hmm. and he turns on the hot water just to comfort her and um, it's a wonderfully tender scene one very uncharacteristic of a Bond movie it, it kind of it's the other side of that that intensity that she needs something to, to and that's what they bond over ultimately up until that point they were very cold with each other but that's that's what they bond over yeah he, Craig won her over with that one and she had really become attached to M so when M died at the end of um, Skyfall Lyra cried which is exactly what's supposed to happen there's not much in the uh, the old Bond films for seven year old girls gotta say <laughs> or, or, or frankly most kids these days but uh but fortunately, the, uh, the 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 new series seems to be in extremely good hands because it's it, it's diversifying, broadening, and making far more intriguing what was previously uh, broad entertainment. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm couldn't be happier for the way the uh, franchise is going right now. Really chuffed to be able to talk about this. Thank you guys all so so much for coming on the show again. Uh, thanks for having us back. No, yeah, thank you. Indeed. It's been, get this one ticked off. Absolutely. It's been awesome talking to you. I would like to get you all back on to uh, talk about that film we can't talk about yet. But <laughs> as soon as we've seen it, talk away, honestly. Um, I'm well, really I, I think I'm going to the premiere, so I'll definitely let you guys you know. You jabby sergeant! <laughs> Sorry, did I did I annoy something? <laughs> What was it, James? You were rubbing it in our face that you'd gone to the premiere of something. I can't remember what. It might have been Casino Royale or, or a Harry Potter film. Hey, it was the Harry Potter's. That's um, the one. The one I was I was gutted like because um, I, I, a friend, a mutual friend of mine, and Alex has mentioned that he knows someone who is working on the Bond publicity and mm. might you know and 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 you know will be able to get tickets to the premiere. And the premiere takes place the day before I land back from my honeymoon yeah. and when I tried to explain why I was upset this somehow got misconstrued that I'd rather go to a Bond premiere than go on my honeymoon which is not entirely true not entirely true but no. a little bit true <laughs> you only here. my late husband was a great lover of poetry and um, I suppose some of it sunk in despite my best intentions and here today I remember this I think from Tennyson. We are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven. That which we are, we are. 
one equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. And guys, pimp your shows. So yeah, I take part in a weekly show called Game Burst where we cover video games and board games, mainly video games. We have a uh, new show every Sunday and we have a feature show every Thursday. I miss uh, you guys. Send them my, send them my love. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. Alex, do you want to do us? Oh, yeah. So um, we're kind of a fledgling podcast, really. Um, yeah, we... we uh... We present Bond and Beyond, and uh, in equal measure, we go over the films and then other elements uh, that are part of the Bond universe, be it the books, be it the music, um, anything to do with James Bond, basically. And uh, we're kind of going in a strange chronological order where we just do the first film for every actor, and then we'll do their second, third, and fourth, and so on. And uh, yeah, oh, it's Dr. Great no, fun. Madge, Live and Let Die. Yeah. Okay. Much. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, but it's great, yeah. It's good fun, and uh, well, um, James, you probably know all the links for it. I, yeah, I, you can I find us um, bondbeyondpod.tumblr.com is uh, where we post all our episodes. Um, we're available on iTunes, Player FM, Pocket Cast, Stitcher. Um, so yeah, we're, we're out there. I also uh, do a games podcast with uh, Chris Tring, who's editor of MCV. It's called Rare Replayed, where we're playing through all the games on the Rare Replay section, and uh, we actually track down the original developers, and uh, they we talk to them about how the game was made, uh, anecdotes about their time on, on, on not only on that project, but also at Rare, and uh, looking at how well those games stand up today. So all of that can be found at rarereplayed.com. Would you say that Silver got hold of Patrice through the Henchman Hotline? Yeah, I don't know. I, it'd be, that's, the Henchman Hotline's too old school, isn't it? It'd be more like a terrorist Facebook now. <laughs> the face of terror. Yeah. Crazy, crazy ex-MI6 agent would like to meet man with uranium-infused bullets or whatever the hell that was. He doesn't yeah, say that sounds more like terrorist Tinder, to be fair. Terrorist Swipe Tinder. left for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> swipe left for, uh, you know, uh, a bomb specialist. Swipe right for a serial killer. Something like that. I'm just going to say three annoying things about Skyfall, which I forgot, and they're so little and silly and petty. They just make me laugh rather than ha- dislike the film. That most They're all located uh, near the end. One is when Silver is just about to get to the deposition and Bond corners him and he goes, I just got to li- show you this thing I got the other day from a toy shop. It's called Radio. Click, click. And then uh, explosion and then a train comes through, which he had perfectly timed because he knew Bond was going to corner him in that exact room. And that blah 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 blah. It's it, it's it's one that of those whole moments where chase that whole and it's it it's cute saying this has been in the planning for years. How how, how so many variables? Possible? This guy doesn't seem entirely bolted down. Okay, but we'll just pretend that he's fine with that. The other two are in the uh, uh, the shootout at the end. One point, Bond stops when he's halfway down the priest hole and listens carefully after the uh, the helicopter smashes into his house and there's a massive explosion. And it just seems like Daniel Craig has stopped and gone, wait, wait, wait. I've got to race an explosion. It's part of my contract. Okay, <laughs> ready and go. And then he beats it because he's Bond. 
How fast is an explosion? Precisely half a second slower than the hero. And the final bit is uh, when he's under the ice and uh, the way he kills that guy, uh, the, the henchman. It's basically, it's one of Vanilla Ice's old dances where he'd grab his foot and then sort of like, th- you know, throttle his knee back and forth like that. And I believe that's in the same tank that Harry Potter went diving to get the Sword of Gryffindor. So it, it honestly seems, especially with the presence of um, Mrs. Malfoy and Mallory, like uh, it's possible if Bond had swam down a little bit further, he might have actually found the Sword of Gryffindor and then chucked it in the back of Silver to win the day. And at that point, when Silver gets the knife in the back, he turns around and goes, God, bloody hell, Bond joys. And it's, it's almost like an expression of annoyance rather than rage. Yeah. But it gets less game-breaking every time because he is ultimately an eccentric character and he, there's a lot going through his mind at that point. But um, it, it's, it's fine because, you know, everything else in the film is so absolutely great. And that's it. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you guys very, very much. And uh, I hopefully see you much sooner than uh, the distance it took to uh, talk about the last Bond film. So, okay uh, and uh, we will be back next week I've been Alex Shaw I've been Sharon Shaw and school's out school's out
done, Fred. Well, I'm game if you are. I should get one thing right.